Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Five, six, seven, eight, BK Borison. It's really not as fun when it's just by myself, but let's go. Let's get into the episode. Welcome back to Gilmore to Read. I am your book-loving, book-obsessed host, Haley, and I want to wish you a happy Valentine's Day. If you were listening to this on the day that this episode is published, it is Tuesday, February 13th, which of course is Valentine's Day. So happy Valentine's to all our gals and all of our pals. Valentine's Day means that it is also a Gilmore Valentine. It is our third annual Gilmore Valentine today, which is why we are having a Gilmore to Read episode today instead of a Gilmore to Say episode, because tonight we have our digital slumber party hosted by moment the same thing that we did last year if you guys were around for that it's a digital event where tara and i are going to be playing games and having what tara would call a silly goose time there's one game in particular that we're going to play tonight that i am so excited about because i have been wanting to play this game with her for so long because it is going to be very hard or she's going to smash it i'm not sure and i'm also not going to let her look in the chat to see what y'all are saying to help her because I just think this is going to be so great because if anyone could get this, it's the two of us, but I also think that y'all are going to enjoy it. And if you're joining us for the after party, Tara and I decided the other day that it has been too long since we've played MASH. So we are going to play Gilmore MASH for part of that, um, but also have a Q&A and just, you know, a girly pop time with all of our besties. We're really excited for this. I can't wait. Tickets are available up until the time of the event, which is 8 p.m. tonight. But if you were listening to this after it's been published, you can go on to Moment for up to a week afterwards and watch the recording. So either way, you can enjoy this. But back to the Gilmore to Read of it all. If you don't know what Gilmore to Read is, it is Gilmore to Say's book club. We actually have two book clubs under the Gilmore to Read umbrella, one of which is called Where You Read, I Will Follow, where we read books that Rory read or contemporary books that feel like books that Rory would have read or would be reading today. Or we take some liberties with that and also read some memoirs. I know one in particular that we're going to read later this year is almost like a justice for this person in regards to the original series of Gilmore Girls. Our second book club is called Reading is Sexy, where we read books that feel like Gilmore Girls, which is where this segment of the podcast really leans into because we'll talk to authors of those book selections. In the past, we've talked to Tia Williams, Tara DeWitt, K.L. Walther, and our last episode was with Adrian Young, who wrote Spells for Forgetting, which was our October pick for Reading is Sexy one of my favorite books. Um, if you're looking for a new book to read, her new book, The Unmaking of June Farrow, was one of my favorite books last year. I highly, highly recommend it. I love her writing. I love the way that she tells stories. I also think that The Unmaking of June Farrow really would fit well into um, the reading taste of Gilmore Girls lovers because this is a story of four generations of women in a family who seem to go mad as they age, um, hallucinating things, but maybe the hallucinations that they're having are real. It's not scary. It sounds scary, but it's not. I promise it's not. I don't read scary things, and this is just so well told. It's a little bit magical realism. It's set in a small town, um, which we know that Adrienne Young loves because she is a big fan of Gilmore Girls. 
But since then, I have recorded a couple of Gilmore to Read episodes. Um, I know that the moment that I mention in an episode when an episode will air or when it will be published or when it will be posted, I know that it's not going to happen. There's going to be scheduling difficulty or technical difficulties and it's not going to happen. Um, so I just have to stop saying the exact date in episodes when a Gilmore to Read episode is going to air. So first of all, I recorded with Rebecca Ross and that episode is preserved and great and ready to go. But the reason I have not posted it yet is because her books are published under Wednesday, which is an imprint of St. Martin's. And if you are following along with that, there's currently a marketing boycott against St. Martin's. You can read more about it at the Instagram readers for accountability. Um, so I'm waiting to post that until that boycott has ended. There's nothing against Rebecca Ross and simply just holding off onto that until the demands are met of the boycott. Um, it's not a consumer boycott. It's just simply for marketing and to post that episode would be very promotional for St. Martin's. So I'm holding off until that is over. As for the BK Borison episode that you're about to listen to, this is the second time that we've recorded this episode. The first time it was before Christmas. It was going to be a pre-Christmas episode to get you in this holiday spirit because Love Light Farms, which was our reading a sexy pick for December, is a very wintry novel. Of course, it's set at a Christmas tree farm and we had just the best conversation. It was one of my favorite Gilmore to Read episodes that I had recorded. Um, and of course, when we finished, her audio did not save, but because she is a kind, generous, wonderful person, the moment that that happened, she's like, let's do it again. Which leads us to today's episode, which is the second conversation that I had with BK Borison. Um, we wanted it to feel just a little bit different than the holiday episode, so we focused a little bit more on the fact that it would be airing on Valentine's Day. So we really zeroed in on her heroines that appear in the Love Light Farm series, which is Love Light Farms, In the Weeds, Mixed Signals, and Business Casual, which comes out in July. And each of the characters have a love interest that she defines as soft boys, um, just real lover boys who really just love love and are very in tune with their emotions. And so we not only celebrate the heroines, but the men in these books who are really just willing to be vulnerable, which tomorrow being Valentine's Day, it just felt worthwhile to celebrate these men who feel like they are going into love with the right mindset. I also will note at the time of recording this episode, I had not yet read Business Casual, but I have since read it. And let me tell you, Love Light Farms, In the Weeds, Mixed Signals, all wonderful books that I love. But nothing compares to Business Casual and Charlie and Nova. I could I, I would read a, a thousand page book of these two just living their lives. The way that they fall into each other, because this really is a black cat golden retriever book. And my book kryptonite, I realized in this book, is learning what hope lives in a black cat woman and what hurts a golden retriever boy. Something about that combo told from the mind of BK Borison really just undid me. I read it in less than 24 hours. I tried to savor it, but I just absolutely could not because I just devoured it, which I feel like is so much teasing because this book does not come out until July. But if you have read the rest of the series, go ahead and pre-order it because you're going to want to have it. If you have not yet read any of them, I highly recommend. They are small town romances in a town that is very much like Stars Hollow. And 
Becca herself says this, it's a lot of wish fulfillment where nothing all that bad really happens in Inglewild, which I just love. It's a soft, cozy place to land if you need a book like that in your life, which I think that we all do. In this episode, while the book club pick was Love Light Farms, we do talk a lot about her other books. We don't talk about them in a way that is spoiling them, um, maybe spoiling the concept of them, but we do kind of take a very holistic approach to talking about the Love Light Farm series and her writing and how it's evolved from being an independently published author to being a traditionally published author under Berkeley Romance. She also talks for the first time about her new book that she announced called First Time Caller, which is coming out in early 2025. She gives us a little bit of inspiration, a little synopsis, and and tells us what the uh, heroine's name is, which I was... I was like kind of shocked and so excited that she decided to reveal that to me and to all of our book besties today. This, of course, all leads to us talking about the NFL. How could it not? It just all makes sense, right? And we, of course, talk about Gilmore Girls. How could we not? And about her relationship with growing up watching Gilmore Girls. And we end, as we always do, having a spoiler chat about the book club pick, which was Love Light Farms, of course. And before we get into it, a bit about B.K. Borison, she is the author of cozy contemporary romances featuring emotionally vulnerable characters in swoon-worthy settings. When she's not daydreaming about fictional characters doing fictional things, she's at home with her family, more than likely buying books she does not have room for. But that is just her bio. My gals and my pals, I hope you have a wonderful Valentine's Day, and I hope that you have as much fun as I did getting to know my new friend, B.K. Borison. I think that so many people absolutely love you and I hope that you know that. I don't think that I know that because um, as you and I both know, we've recorded this episode once. This is our second time. We're old friends at this point. We are. (laughs) Um, That the first time it did not save, but I did say on the podcast the date that the original episode was going to go up. And I know that the moment that I say the date that it's not going to work out. Like I have to like keep it to myself because that's the only way that it works. Um, But Everyone asked me where the BK Borison episode was. Like, I'd post a picture of myself on Christmas. The comments were, where's BK Borison? I'd post, like, a question box in my story, like, how's your day? Where's the BK Borison episode? Because, like, I'd, like, post it here and there of, like, we lost the audio. It's coming. I promise. Um, And everyone is just, like, so excited. So I hope that this lives up to people's expectations of, like, loving Love Light Farms and then, like, needing to hear from you now. (laughs) Gosh, I, I will try to be much more interesting this time. No. And, and that was what was so sad is like, I loved that episode. It was going to be like one of my favorites because it felt like, like I, I losing that episode that I told you before, it felt like I had won a BK Borison contest where I got to talk to you for an hour and a half. And just, <laughs> that was just between the two of us. But I felt like we had such a good conversation at the end of it. I was like, what a bummer. Like that have been a nice Christmas start, but the moment that it didn't save, you were like, let's do it again. And I was like, I love her so much. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And now that that's been, now that's not Christmas anymore, I feel like we have more things to talk about now. We have so much to talk about. You have announced so many things that you're creating. I've also read more into the books that you've released, which like, we're going to have to get into it because I have fallen in love again and again with characters <laughs> of yours. But first, you announced that you're having a baby. Oh, I am. Yeah, I am having a little baby boy in June. A little soft boy. <laughs> a little soft boy, yes. <laughs> Hopefully. Although, by the way, he's, you know, kicking my belly. It doesn't feel like a soft boy energy. 
Yeah. Well, soccer boy, maybe. (laughs) (laughs) Athletic boys can be soft boys. That's true. I fully believe that from your books, but that's so exciting. Congratulations. Thank you. Um, Because you have so much stuff that you're cooking up, which you just announced um, your next book to be released, or rather to release be released next year because business casual will be will be released later this year but okay. first time caller will mm-hmm. be released in 2025 which i when you announced that i was just like i cannot wait to talk to her about this tomorrow <laughs> <laughs> i know it's funny i i was talking to my editor in the morning and we were chatting about she was putting together a catalog copy for berkeley which is basically like their encyclopedia of books that are coming out in the next couple of years and we were writing it for a first time caller and she, and I was like, can I, I was like, is there any restrictions on sharing the title? And she was like, nope, but just so you know, pre-order so And I was, I was like, okay. <laughs> and then she, I put up, I made the graphics real quick and I put it up and um, she was like, that was really fast. And I was like, it was definitely premeditated because I have been bursting to share the title. And I've been so afraid of like me slipping or the internet slipping or Berkeley slipping. So I'm just glad it's, it's out there. And I've done it. It got its moment. It's a great title. Can you tell us a little bit of what it's about or inspiration or whatever you're allowed to talk about? I I think I can talk about whatever I want about. And this this is exciting because this is the first time I get to talk about it, but yeah, I haven't, like, I haven't, I very intentionally haven't said anything about it online because I wanted to be sneaky and I wanted to get business casual at this moment, but yeah, I'm excited. I'm really excited about this one. This is so. This is the first book outside of the Love Light world. It's not related at all. Um, it is about a radio station in Baltimore. Um, he, Aiden Valentine, is the host of a romance hotline. Um, and one night, a little girl calls in asking for a boyfriend for her mom. Um, because she thinks her mom is lonely and it's sort of like sleepless in Seattle. But if she fell in love with the host instead of a caller um, and I love I'm already it. already kind of crying. <laughs> <laughs> I love it so much because it takes place in Baltimore, which is where I grew up and where I live currently. Um, sleepless in Seattle is the movie that made me want to be a writer. Um, it just, all of it felt very deeply personal to me. Um, and I love it so much. I told you earlier that I was reading it. I finished it back in October, but I was reading it because I shared the title yesterday and I was like, oh, I love it so much. So I think everyone else loves it too. I, we definitely will. Because like, I'm so obsessed with your reading. Like I told you that's what I was doing this morning was reading Mixed Signals. And it's just like, it's left me in like a giddy, excited, like happy to be alive state of mind. <laughs> um, and I feel like that's just your writing in general. And I feel like even if like you wrote a bad book, I would still enjoy it and like being in your world and in your words. Um, just because I don't know, I feel like I'm going to just repeat myself how much <laughs> I love your writing. I'm just going to be a fangirl this whole time. Um, um, but I, I really like the idea of the radio station. Was there like an inspiration for that beyond Sleepless in Seattle? Or do you have any association to radio stations? I don't have any association to radio stations. My husband likes to make fun of me because I really love local news and local radio because I love how weird and neat <laughs> stories get. Like I, yeah. I love knowing what's happening, like with the Italian restaurant on the corner that has like a meatball special on Tuesdays. Like I love 
the weird information I get about my community. And like, I live in a city, so, and I live in a city that's not, that doesn't have a great reputation. <laughs> so <laughs> it's, it's, I like being stitched to my community that way. And I like the idea of writing about a radio station that felt um, nostalgic in a way, because I feel like not a lot of us listen to local radio anymore. Yeah. Uh, and it felt like a very cool way to do like red string theory. Everybody's connected in some way, especially in people sort of drift by each other. But um, yeah, I just like the idea of visiting an older concept in a new way. Yeah. And it feels very like radio, but like local radio, but like the BK Borison effect of it, of like creating like a loving community in that. Cause like with mm-hmm. local like news, you learn about people, but the connection of like having people call in for a romance hotline is just so, I can't wait to read it. I can't wait for 2025. Um, but before that, you do have a new book coming out this year, which I is did. Business Casual, which is the fourth book in the Love Light Farm series. Mm-hmm. Um, which I have seen so many people get advanced reader copies of this book and they are like, this is the best ever. This is you at your absolute best. Um, which I just, I can't, like I, every time I read another book, I'm like, it just can't get better. It can't, I don't imagine how this gets better. And people are like, no, 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 just wait till you read this. It's the best one. I've been really, I've, I've been so nervous with people's response to it because it's, I haven't published anything new since Mixed Signals, which Mixed Signals came out in, what year is it? 24? It came out in... It was 2022. Yeah. So it's been a long time. Yeah. Um, And I've had a lot of nerves about, you know, like disappearing off people's radars or people not being as invested in the series now that it's been so long because it's not Love Light. I love the series, but it's not like Crescent City where like everybody will wait forever to read the yeah. <laughs> cliffhangers or like there's not these grandiose worlds so yeah there's some a huge epic battle at the end exactly there's people's lives and perils <laughs> <laughs> so I've been I've been anxious that people the excitement would die down or I'd lose momentum but I've been very pleasantly surprised with um how excited everyone is about it and the response has sort of exceeded expectations too um I think there's something to be said for taking my time with this one because uh, I was sort of like in a churn and burn with the first three where I was just like, right, right, right. Um, but this one, I really went through the whole process with Berkeley and got to take my time with editing and writing and imagining. So I'm excited. Is this your first release that wasn't previously published as indie? Correct. Yeah, this will be the first, um, quote, Berkeley original um, as they are labeling it. So this will be the first one that I... I had some of it written before the book deal, but this one went through the full editing process with my traditional team. Was that, what was that process like? Cause I, I know that before we talked about like how you got into writing, which mm-hmm. I know everyone is always really interested in because we actually have like a lot of uh, aspiring writers in our community. Mm-hmm. Um, and they always want to hear about how you got started. And I would love to hear like the difference of writing the first three versus now writing this one with a traditional publisher. It's different. <laughs> and, and I'm still End of story. It's different. It. It's really different. And it, it's it's good different in a lot of ways and challenging different in others. Um, but with the first three books, I really wrote them just on my own schedule, my own ideas, my own thoughts. Um, Love Light Farms was written in my free time just for something to do creative because I just had a baby. 
I wanted to do something to give my brain a break and do something that felt selfish. Yeah. Um, and this was during the pandemic too. That during the pandemic. Was... Yes. So I had my first baby. My husband is a physician. So it was basically me and my newborn home alone all the time. So, <laughs> which was fun. Um, but I wrote Love Light for myself. Um, and there was no external pressure or expectations to be met because it was just like, we'll see what happens. Um, and then Love Light sort of exploded across social media. Um, and I published the next two books in the weeds and mixed signals. And it was very much like write it, finish it, give myself a week, publish it. Like it was very fast, fast, fast. And I yeah. liked that part of it because I controlled everything. Um, and it, it's sort of addicting once you self-publish, when you get feedback, when you start getting yeah, that instant growing. gratification. Yeah. yeah. And then, and then the books did really well. They got picked up by Berkeley, acquired by Berkeley. Um, and my, my run, 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 right, right, right. Turned into wait, wait, wait. Yeah. <laughs> because traditional is a completely different ballpark in terms of who needs to look at your words and the partnership with your editor. Um, I've learned a lot in the year that I've been with Berkeley. Um, and I think my writing has grown a lot because I'm just going slower um, by nature of the process and working with my editor, uh, which is what I wanted. I wanted to slow down um, and I wanted to grow as a writer and become better. So I feel like both of those things have happened. Hopefully one, I've definitely gone slower, <laughs> but hopefully it um, reflects in my work as well. Well, and I told you this when we talked before, it's like, I was so surprised that it, Love Light Farms was your debut novel because it's just like so well-written. I think you have just like such a good ear. Is that the right way to describe like writing? Like, it's just like you're, the way that you tell a story is just already so like intrinsically good that I can only imagine that like working alongside someone who's like improving that process is just making it better and better. Um, what was that? I guess, what was that creatively like working with someone who, you know, it's just you and you, mm -hmm. you editing your own books versus like handing it off to someone and getting feedback? <laughs> well, I was really lucky with the first three books. I worked closely with my friend, Annie, who she's been my friend for a decade. Um, so I feel like she knows my brain really, really well. And she, so she was my editor, quote editor, on my first three books in that we just talked about them and she read them. And if something wasn't working, we had a really good conversation back and forth where she was like, this isn't working. This isn't working. She was brutally honest with everything. So I think I was used to having someone in my corner who would lovingly guide me in the right direction. <laughs> so, right. <laughs> and it was a good like step into working with a publishing house editor um, creatively, I think I've been challenged a little bit with going from controlling everything to not, um, sometimes there's decisions made that I don't agree with. And that's not, that's not a knock on Berkeley or publish traditional publishing general. I think that's just the nature of taking something from a hobby to a professional job. Um, so I think for me, I've been challenged a little bit with like departments like sales or marketing having a say in some of the decisions. Yeah. Um, those things have been minimal and it's been fun working with a publisher who believes in my work so deeply and I can take a step back on things 
like advertising and marketing to focus more on the writing aspect of it. Yeah. Which is what you should do. I think that's what's so hard about indie. Mm -hmm. And like even in some ways, like being in a traditional publishing house and not being like their top seller Mm -hmm. is that there's this expectation that you are going to be like a content creator on top of writing and doing all these things and connecting with your readers and having to be kind of all departments, which Mm -hmm. I feel like is just draining your creativity and um, can make it really hard to like bring your best self back to your writing if that expectation is on you to do that. Yeah, and I think I'm I'm really grateful that I started out indie before going traditional because I think I have a better understanding of how to market myself in my books. Um, yeah. I like doing those things. Like I like engaging with the social audience, but I I can't imagine being like a traditional first author and having Berkeley be like, okay, go into the world, <laughs> like promote your book, <laughs> go do this. <laughs> yeah, so I'm I'm glad to have the solid foundation of like doing all the things to slimming down to like just doing a few things. It's, I think it's yeah. transition easier for me. Yeah, you grew your readership who mm-hmm. love you and will stick around for the fourth oh. book. And I think it's also because like, it's not Crescent City, which we're mentioning because it literally comes out in a couple of days, mm-hmm. just like anticipating, which is why I'm making croissants. I told you that um, yeah. it was in my Layla era, but I'm making it because like Danica likes chocolate croissants and I'm mm-hmm. allergic to dairy. So I'm making... Um, vegan chocolate croissants to celebrate um but it doesn't have the big huge battles but i think that there is like an element of that that can transition into like a series like yours where like you know we meet almost all of the love interests in the first book save for nova who we meet in the next Mm -hmm. and like you like tease them just enough that like you want to know more like you absolutely need to know more about beckett after the first book um who like once you read it you realize he's just anxious snow white hot snow white <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, he really is he really is just a little snow white um but one of my favorite questions at the book club asked was like oh my gosh i loved beckett and Leia. layla are they going to get their own books and i was like well i have a great news for you uh they do get their own books and i think that there's that anticipation of like you have these characters that you love and especially charlie like as you're getting to know more and more about him and like seeing the way that Nova and Beckett relate that when you hear that's their book, I think there is that anticipation. It's not like, are they alive? <laughs> are they being tortured? But you're just like, I'm going to be tortured because the person is going to stab me in the heart with whatever is about to happen between the two of them. So I think there's that element of it that mm-hmm. like, I think you, the, the softness in all of us is anticipating wanting to feel more of that. Yeah, it's been, it's fun sort of putting all the pieces out there. And with each subsequent book, like tucking little Easter eggs about who's coming next and mm-hmm. getting readers maybe um, subconsciously excited about a couple that I did. I feel like I did that a lot with Charlie and Nova is there's a lot of little pieces of them tucked in mm-hmm. all the books, um, but they're not as loud as maybe Caleb and Layla, who Caleb has had hard eyes for Layla from the chat. Yeah. Oh my God, he loves her. Like I told you, I'm like 36 pages into this and he is like head over heels, like dead, done, buried for this girl. Like the cakes. Yes. The the buy like I think we found out in in the weeds that he's buying all the cakes for her, but it Mm -hmm. just or from her rather. Mm -hmm. Um it's just come on like he's obsessed with her croissants like there's just something about it that I'm like I love him and I'm not even like I'm not even very far into this um and I think that's what you do so well is like you create these like really unique um 
each of them feel so different, all come from the same place, your beautiful mind. Um, and they're all just so good that like you just want to latch onto the next one. So I, I'm not surprised that so many people are anticipating and loving business casual. Um, but something I wanted to ask you about, I guess, like the version of you who wrote Love Light Farms, who was just, you know, listening to Christmas Tree Farm by Taylor Swift on repeat and <laughs> writing in naps and that sort of thing. What would you say to her or like, would you say anything to her about where you're at now? And like the fact that this is like the career that you've chosen and the way that you've grown as a writer, like how would you communicate this success to her? Oh my gosh, I'd probably just scream. <laughs> and she would know. <laughs> yeah, I don't I don't think that version of me. I think that version of me and this version of me are in complete agreement that we never thought all of this would come from that. Like I've I was talking to someone yesterday who I used to babysit and she's interested in writing a book. Um and we were just chatting and she's like, "Can you believe it?" I was like, "No, I cannot believe it." <laughs> like I just there there's no I think I always wanted to be a writer in the way that you know when you're a little kid and you say I want to be an astronaut or I want to be yeah. a, a musician it always felt very far away and unattainable so I just can't believe that something I did for me turned into something that was for so many other people too yeah I think that's probably been the most gratifying part of the experience beyond you know everything else is that I put a lot of myself into my books and seeing those pieces of me resonate with other people and having other people see themselves in my books has been, has been really lovely and gratifying. Well, and I think that's what's so, um, I guess like beautiful about writing about love is like you break down all of your own insecurities and like zoom in like as far as you can go on them and create a character out of it and like kind of offer up your heart and it's like this is a piece of me please don't break it um but that's really what I want to talk about today because this episode is airing on Galentine's Day so I really want to celebrate all of your women um that feels weird to say, like you're hoarding them, um, like all of oh, my ladies, <laughs> the beaker and girlies, <laughs> because they're all so unique and all have such a different perspective. But they all have, like share this like common insecurity and fear of being loved, which I think that like we all have that somewhere mm-hmm. deep in us. I mean, I haven't read about Nova yet, um, but I can only imagine that she. If her brother is Beckett, like I can only imagine what she's feeling. Um, but I want to talk about so Stella, Evelyn, Layla, and Nova are your mm-hmm. girlies. Mm-hmm. Um, do we have a name for the girlie? And we do. Her her name is Lucy, and that's the first time I'm telling anyone. That. <gasps> oh my gosh! I was like hesitant to ask. I was like, "Am I allowed to know?" Oh my gosh! And a Lucy, so much fun. Aiden and Lucy, that's good. Yeah, there's two girlies that feature. A, a, my main, so my lead lady and her half lead lady, her daughter, Maya. So it's Lucy and Maya in that one. Oh, we love. It's the single mom. So mama. that's one of my favorite is single mom meets a man. He becomes a dad. Um, we'll, we'll hold off on that for a second. Because um, <laughs> I'm like my brain just like misfired. Um, <laughs> but one of the things I wanted to ask you about is um, – Obviously, with Love Light Farms, which we'll get to at the end, I have all of the book club questions that I saved from December that everyone asks about it. Um, but Stella's book is different in the 
regard that it was entirely from her perspective. We get a little mm-hmm. bit of Luca at the end, like, mm-hmm. thank goodness. Um, but the rest of them are all dual POV. Um, is that, was that like a conscious choice that you made because of the story that was being told about Stella? Or was it her voice? Or what was that decision versus the other ladies? I don't know what it is, but cowboy boots are magic. Since they've arrived, I've worn my Tacovis boots almost every day. I have the Annie in Midnight. I know you have the Annie in Bone. I do. But they make me feel so powerful because, of course, it is my dream to be a cowgirl. Yes, I know this about you, but I also know <laughs> you've told me that you wear them while you write your book. I do. I wear them all the time because I also wear them when I get dressed up or when I'm sitting at my dress recording the podcast because they make me feel so bold and brave and like I can do anything no matter how I style them. Tacovis has carried forward all the time-honored traditions and quality that you find in a great pair of cowboy boots, but they've innovated on comfort, style, and service with boots for men and women handmade from the most premium leathers. And if you dream of being cowgirls like us or you're already Western to your core, Tacovis is the perfect brand to start with because they believe in Western for all. They don't only offer their handmade boots, but all sorts of head-to-toe Western staples. Perfect jeans to go with your boots, pearl snaps, bandanas, and cowboy hats. You name it and they'll get you out. Fitted. And if you can't make it into a store, Tacovis delivers the most premium quality and most comfortable Western goods right to your door. So visit tacovis.com. That's T E C O V A S.com. And as a special opportunity for our listeners, Tacovis has said that they will throw in one of their best selling trucker hats or ball caps for free into any minimum purchase of $100 on tacovis.com. Just use the code Gilmore at checkout. That's G I L M O R E. It's about a $30 value and they sell fast. So they're always new styles and looks. Again, for a limited time, just enter code Gilmore at checkout to add a free logo hat to your order as a one-time gift from Tecovis. Only at Tecovis.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com and point your toes west. Haley, I feel like most of our followers already know that we don't really drink alcohol, but we do love a fun beverage. Oh, we do. Both of us think a fun beverage and a chill night is the epitome of a good time, especially when that drink is a recess mood, which is a delicious sparkling water infused with functional ingredients like mood lifting magnesium and stress balancing adaptogens. So you can relax without the alcohol. I drink mine every night while reading, of course. Tara, tell everyone how you enjoy yours. Honestly, I usually drink mine while we're recording the podcast. (laughs) It's my favorite way to enjoy a recess. And all of our besties can get 15% off the Recess Mood sampler pack at takearecess.com slash GTS. Recess Mood is made with real fruit and comes in four delicious flavors like strawberry rose and raspberry lemon. But my personal favorite is the grapefruit tangerine. And with only 20 calories and no added sugar, it's the perfect way to chill. You deserve a healthier way to unwind. Head to takearecess.com slash GTS and get 15% off Recess Mood, your go-to alcohol replacement. It is weird to switch. Now I understand that it's weird to switch from single to dual halfway or two fourths. I don't know. <laughs> it was the second book in a series. But at the time, I was convinced that if I had so Love Light Farms, as you know, is friends to lovers, 10 years of pining fake dating. And I was convinced if I wrote Luca's point of view in that book, it would have like 
Because Luca would have just been hard eyes, hard eyes, hard eyes. Oh, yeah. Uh, the whole time. His would have just been like, I love Stella. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Next chapter. <laughs> and for Stella, her insecurities come from a place where she trusts in Luca's love for her as a friend, but she's not sure if she could trust it as like a partner and a romantic interest. Um, and her challenges in her life have led her to believe that like romantic love is fleeting. Friendship love is forever. Um, and I didn't want to write Luca's point of view because I feel like people would have just hated Stella um, because they would have been like, why is she waffling? Like, I think already some people, when they read that book, um, don't trust in that insecurity that she has or don't maybe have never experienced that insecurity in their own life. Um, yeah. So very secure people who read that book. <laughs> <laughs> no, this is what we talked about the last time, mm -hmm. which I, I never believed that someone who like reads a book like that wouldn't understand that going on in their own life. It's like, it's we as readers get this like confusion because we're like all knowing. And so we see Luca, we like, we know that he loves her. Mm -hmm. And so then it's almost like Stella then a little bit becomes ourself in a way that's like, get over yourself, kiss him, love him, yeah. be with him forever. Mm -hmm. But on the other side of it, it's like, how many times have you been in a situation where you're like, if I say anything, it's going to change everything. Correct. And I don't know which way it's going to go. And I don't know how I'm going to feel about it. So I almost feel like the people who feel that way feel like the miscommunication or like mm -hmm. not understanding it. It's almost like they would understand it the most if it was happening to them and that they can't they're almost too all-knowing that, like, if they knew that in their own lives, it's like, yeah, I would totally do the same thing. I'd be yelling at myself. But, like, we all have those insecurities that I think sometimes is hard to cross back over into, like, I see so much of my, myself in Stella. But, mm -hmm. like, can I see myself being in Stella's situation knowing that he loves her sort of thing? Yeah. Yeah, I felt like if I had Luca's thoughts every other chapter – people would have just been like, why is she hesitating when she's, she has very good reasons for hesitating. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I feel like it would have just been beaten over the head, but I wanted him to have a voice. It was just very, very <laughs> late in the story. But it was like perfect timing. I feel mm -hmm. like it's kind of like we needed him to chime in for a second just to yeah. be like, yep, I have loved her this whole time. Yeah, but I, I I loved that. But I I loved getting Becca Beckett's point of view in the next one. Not to like turn this to talking about the men, um, but he is just like the softest, like most anxious Snow White. And I was like, mm -hmm. am I Beckett? Like the whole time I was reading, I was like, is this me? I just want to live on a farm and talk to no one. <laughs> um, it's but, fun writing a character that people. A lot of people after the first book, I think the. The noise for Beckett was the loudest because he is a tattooed, grumpy farmer who adopts a bunch of kittens. Like, oh he, my gosh, and the he's a book boyfriend. Yeah, by definition, and I think it was fun for me to sort of twist the perception of him, like, and to ground him in very real insecurities and anxieties that he has, and he's not just a grumpy dude, like. He doesn't, he struggles with people and he struggles with sound. So I think it was fun for me to take a popular book trope and sort of ground him in really real struggles. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's, that's something that I struggle with a lot when it comes to grumpy characters in general. It's like, why are you grumpy? 
Like, why, why, what's the reason? (laughs) Tell me why. And I think that with Beckett, it's so easy to see because he has a love interest in Evelyn, who I think just like so completely sees him and gets him, but has her own hangups and insecurities about the whole situation. And um, it's like every time I meet another heroine of yours, I'm like, oh, I actually like her the most. She's my favorite. (laughs) (laughs) Do you have a favorite? Um, I, I really love Nova, which I feel bad saying because very few people have met her, but I think I love Nova so much because she's very different from the other three. I think the uniting, um, characteristic between Stella, Layla and Evelyn is that they're very hopeful. Um, and like, they believe, even if they don't believe in themselves 100%. They're very hopeful about the idea of love in general. Yeah. Uh, and Nova's sort of like, I don't want it. I don't need it. <laughs> she's a black cat. Yeah, she's my black cat girly. And I think it's it was sort of like writing a female version of Beckett because they're siblings. They were raised yeah. in the same household. Um, so it was fun for me to sort of play with the idea of okay, so female version of Beckett, they grew up together. Like what characteristics would they share from their parenting? Yeah. And like spending That's really interesting together. to figure yeah. out as siblings. Yeah. And I really enjoyed Beckett is in business casual quite a bit because it's Nova is his self-proclaimed favorite sister. Um, but their relationship for me was really special to write. Um, I think Beckett is once again very unexpected in business casual because Charlie's his friend, Nova's right. his sister, his youngest sister. I think people sort of expect Beckett to have a certain reaction to that. Um, but I had a lot of fun. Beckett's involvement in their relationship was really fun for me to write. Oh, I can't wait. Because I just like there's something about Beckett that's just like really here on Valentine's Day. I'm talking about Beckett. But like Beckett, I feel like is like if I could talk about any man on Valentine's Day, it is Beckett. <laughs> Beckett, would, Beckett would cut up the fruit for the Valentine's platter on Valentine's night and yeah. then quietly leave through the back door. Be like, yeah, go hang out in the greenhouse in the meantime. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I also love um, I can't wait for business casual because I love the relationship that Beckett and Nova have in regards to the tattoos. Um that not to like spoil in any anything in in the weeds, but she gives him all of his tattoos, mm-hmm. and it was like this loving thing of like she was practicing on him, mm-hmm. and just like that brotherly love, just like mm-hmm. really just ended me. So like to think of that on the other side of like witnessing like what that meant to Nova and how she got started in her own career because her brother let her practice is just, um, which is like what she was talking about is like exactly what I was thinking when you were talking about them being siblings I was like what characteristics would they share how would they differ how does how do we all share the same trauma that our siblings all have and how do we react to it differently yeah so that's that's really I can't wait to read about that um but what the next question I have for you is what is important to you when creating a heroine like what is I guess when you're pulling out their characteristics or I guess a female love interest here um, when you're making them like very individual unique people what I guess is one of the first things that you want to gravitate towards for them I have I think it's changed so it changes from book to book and I think for me what I've discovered about myself is that 
my female characters tend to reflect whatever, for better or worse, whatever insecurity that I'm struggling with at the time. Yeah. Um, and I'm trying to think of like an example, like Evelyn was very burnt out and tired and wanted something different for her life. And I think that was deeply what I was feeling at that point. Like I was transitioning. Yeah. I had found this new thing, writing. Well, I didn't find it. I, writing was becoming a thing that was like looking like a possibility at that time in my real life. Like, oh, well, like I'm doing it. I could keep doing it. And, but I had a full-time job. I was a stay-at-home mom for my baby. Um, with all these things were good, but like it felt, I felt stretched very thin. Yeah. There wasn't Um, enough of you to right. participate in the goodness. I was half-assing a lot of things, as Leslie Nope says. I wanted to whole ass one thing. <laughs> so I just felt I for Evelyn for me at that time was a deep reflection of me. And I think Layla, when I wrote her, it was a similar thing where Layla just like was like, why isn't this working for me? Like I'm a good person. I try hard. Um I love love, but I keep getting these like douchebags in my life. So yeah, there's always, there's always a piece of me in every female character. Um, but I also try to like, before I start writing a book, I draw a little map of her and I draw a little map of him and I try to see where each of them are starting um, and where they're going and what sort of things they need to accomplish to get to, you know, a place where they're good together. Yeah. Um, And then I draw like their little, it's usually her and then him and then them together. And I try to map everyone's journey so that it feels like, I think sometimes in romance, it can get fixated on the them and not the him and the her. Yeah. But I think it's important that the characters have separate journeys to two strong halves of one whole. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that's really what I feel about this, about Um, it's harder I think it's harder a little bit with Love Light because we get all Stella but I think Mm -hmm. that the pieces of Luca that we have it's so clear that like all of these characters are soulmates like Mm -hmm. they just fit so well together they just get each other and even when they have that like conflict that naturally has to happen you're like not worried you're like that's okay these people are meant to be together like I'm not concerned also like given the fact that romance like the contract between writer and readers that it's going to end happily. Um, but they just all feel like such soulmates mm-hmm. um, that like, of course they're going to be together. <laughs> yeah. I love, I love that in romance. I love that. I know like we all know where it's going, um, but I like that. I like, I like that we know the book's going to end with them happy and together and getting there is the fun part. Like sometimes I'll see a review for a romance and it was like, it'll say something like predictable. I knew how it was going to end. We all know how it's going to end. We all know. That's why we're here. What do you mean predictable? Like (laughs) you told me it was friends to lovers. The friends were going to become lovers. Of course. (laughs) We all, we all know what's going to happen at the end of this book and we're going to be happy to be there. Um, And yeah, I think that there's like a, there's an earnestness that you have to have in order to enjoy romance or like even if it's like a secret earnestness that you don't tell anyone about that like it has to be there that you have to know that like this is gonna end happy and you're gonna be happy about it (laughs) (laughs) you're gonna be happy you're gonna enjoy it yeah yeah I think sometimes romance gets that bad rap right because it's like we every romance ends the same in that every romance ends with the couple together but like every romance does not 
and the same in that each character's journey is different. Each couple's journey is different. Not every happy ending looks the same as someone else's. So I think, I think sometimes romance gets, you know, criticism from the literary world as a whole that it's not inventive enough or challenging enough, but I've never read a romance that's quote, just a romance. Yeah. Always it touches on grief, on friendship, on community. So many things are wrapped up in love stories that I think sometimes people dismiss it for no reason and they're missing out. Yeah. And I don't even know how, like, I'm trying to think of like the most like quote unquote fluffy romances that I've read. And even in those, like, I can't think of a moment like where like it was, or like a book where it was just the whole time they were just having a silly, goofy time. Like it's so much like a genre where you can explore like the very hopeful hurting part of all of us because like that's what like wanting love is is like Mm -hmm. just to like you're just so hopeful that someone is out there that's going to like see you and accept you and like all of your soft dark pieces that like I don't understand how a romance could just be like just fluffy because it just feels like such a beautiful way to explore life yeah. is through like the the one thing that we all want even if we're not willing to admit it nova <laughs> <laughs> nova she's so yeah. funny and i think that's what's like i'm like excited about is like it's almost better sometimes and the character's like i don't want that that's like yes you do yeah. don't lie there is a hopeful part inside of you that sees like luca and stella on the farm and you're like mm, that seems nice yeah <laughs> Yeah, it's funny because Business Casual opens um, at Stella and Luca's wedding. Spoiler alert. (gasps) It opens at the wedding and Nova's like sitting at a table at the wedding. And Stella and Luca are, you know, snow globe, perfect picture couple spinning through the chorus. And her sister's like, don't you want that? And Nova's like, no. (laughs) She's like, nah, I'm good. I don't. Thank you. And then, you know, Charlie Merengue's into the dance floor. Of course he does. Off they go to the races. But I think what was fun about their story is that, like you said, she's like, no, I don't want it. I don't need it. And then the more time she spends with Charlie, she's like, okay. (laughs) Like, like this is, Charlie is 100%. She's really irritated in her book that, you know, she enjoys spending so much time with Charlie because he is just like, he's this louder, loud, goofy, silly guy. Yeah. He's hung over in the closet right now. And <laughs> yeah. <mixed> signals. <laughs> yes. Mixed signals. I believe he spends 75% of that book hung over in some way or fashion. Um, but he's just like this goofball. And she's like, why am I attracted to this guy in khakis like she's just herself. <laughs> uh, khakis khaki boy which Caleb I think wears khakis and mixed signals I don't know I'm determined to make khakis hot I guess <laughs> so, yeah what a good what a good goal for you <laughs> it's a mission write that down <laughs> <laughs> I love that and I feel like there's uh like a girl that you can gravitate towards if you're reading the Love Light Farm series that like even if it's not like a matter of like picking one for you to just like represent you one character, I feel like you can find yourself in each of them in different ways. Like you were talking about how like Evelyn is so burnt out. And then with, I actually have a underlined copy or like an underlined line um, 
from Layla that I read last night and I was like, I want to read this here because I cried after this. Um, and I feel like Layla is so much of us because we just want love, mm-hmm. but it's in such a way that I think that Caleb, not to spoil this, counteracts, which is like he wants the right person. Mm-hmm. And whereas Layla just wants someone to stick. And this is when very early on, Caleb is driving Layla home from a bad date and he says that guy, what was his name? Justin. She says, Jacob, I supply quietly. He's the one that hurts the most. All of the rest, I can play them off as amusing stories to entertain my friends, forays into the wild and weird world of dating. But I had been with Jacob for months. I had given him so many pieces of myself in a desperate attempt to make it work. I wanted so badly for someone to just stick that I made excuses, justified his crap behavior, and told myself he would get better. His ambivalence, his indifference, I told myself that he just needed time to settle into comfortable rhythm. He just needed some time to like me. Mm -hmm. And I read that and I was like, who has not felt that way? Mm -hmm. Like it's sometime or another, whether it was like romantic and you had an asshole in your life that you were just like throwing pieces of yourself to stop everything from draining out, not realizing that everything that was draining out was yourself Mm -hmm. or a friendship where it's like a platonic situation where you're just trying to make it work and they will not make it work with you or a familial situation where it's someone in your family. And I think that that's what's so beautiful about all of them is like, even if you're not a baker, even if you're not, can't like perfectly relate to Layla, you can relate to that feeling. Mm -hmm. And I think that they're all so complex, dynamic women that like that shines true of like, I think a good character for a lot of people right now would be Evelyn because I talk to so many people who feel burnt out mm-hmm. that they just want to give themselves to so many different things or they have so many great ideas but just they're just so tired to mm-hmm. make that happen I feel like if you're feeling that way that's Evelyn is just the perfect person to not that you not that all of us can run away to a, a farm with a hot bucket. farmer who adopts yeah. <laughs> Mr. Hot Snow White <laughs> and I think sometimes too like it took me like what in my 20s and I'm in my 30s now but like I feel like in your 20s you feel like sort of you have to pick a path and like once you're on that path like you're on it and you can't Mm -hmm. deviate from it because it's going to screw up the rest of your life yeah of course and Evelyn is like I'm here I'm successful like if I make a change what happens now um and I think a lot of people are afraid of making a change if they're unhappy but Evelyn's story is very much about being brave in that way and I think Layla they're all my girlies are brave in different ways um Stella took her a little bit longer to get brave but I think I think Layla's bravery comes from a place where she wants so badly to be loved the way her friends are being loved and the way like these that she's seen um and her bravery is very much rooted and she keeps trying even though it sucks um and even though it's hard for her, she keeps she keeps coming back for more. So, which is just like such a beautiful idea that like she keeps ending up with people who are just hurting her, mm-hmm. or like not even hurting her, but just like not good people. As Caleb, her, yeah, yeah, as Caleb says, just assholes. Mm-hmm. Um, and yet she wants to keep trying, mm-hmm. and I think that's so. That's like what's brave about her. She just like wants it, so she keeps trying. Um, but she's got a little teacher coming her way she does (laughs) a hot teacher a hot spanish teacher yeah oh my gosh i love that so much um is there one in particular that was the hardest for you whether it was like hard to come up with their story uh 
or maybe they felt too close to you that it was hard to get down? I think probably in the weeds was the toughest for me to write um, because externally there was a lot more noise in my head from the first one. Like Love Light was just, I was the only one who knew I was writing it. And then in the weeds after Love Light did so well, sort of in my head, like, oh gosh, it needs to be really good. Yeah. Um, You were in the weeds, if you will. (laughs) I I was in the weeds very much so. Um, And that was dual point of view. So it was a different um, process for me to sort of get to know both of them. Um, So I definitely say that one. And I think probably I was the closest to Evelyn at that point in my life. And it felt very like I was digging into myself every time I wrote about her. Um, Yeah, she's probably been the toughest. But I think and like as I've written more books and written more, I've discovered my own process with each one and, you know, figured out how to make it easier for myself. But like every t- I keep waiting for books to be easier when I'm writing them. <laughs> yeah. And it's never easier. It's like every book is the hardest book I've ever written. Yeah. Does it keep you writing? Because you're like, next one will be easy. Let's get to this hard one and the next one will be easy. <laughs> I Well, you, we were talking earlier and you were telling me that you hate starting books as a reader. I yeah. hate starting books as a writer because I I have all these thoughts in my head of like what I want them to be at that point. And it's like figuring out who they are and like how they interact with each other. It's such a slog to get through that first bit of understanding yeah. them yeah. and understanding like my rhythm it's just it's like it's like pulling teeth in the beginning because I'm like this is not who they're supposed to be yeah eventually you get to the point where like okay now I know who you are let's go back and fix but yeah it's hard right chronologically for like from beginning to end I do because I find that otherwise like my I feel like my characters change throughout the book and they're growing and developing so sometimes I'll have ideas for something I want to come later, but I can't write it until they're there too. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. Yeah. That's such self-control because that's not what I do. <laughs> if I get like excited about something, I'm like, well, I'm excited. Might as well write it now. And then I like puzzle piece it back together. But see, that's also brilliant because like I was telling my husband last night, I think I do. I have a four-year-old daughter um, who is having trouble going to sleep at night. So I lay in her bed with her until she falls asleep. 90% of the time I also fall asleep, but 10% of the time I use it as like brainstorm time where I'm just like, yeah, about my kind head. of mindfulness. That's, <laughs> I like that. It's like a very Zen moment as she like pelts me in the face with a stuffed crocodile. But of course, um, of course, a crocodile. <laughs> uh, I was telling my husband last night, like there are so many things I just forget like that are probably really good ideas. They could be gibberish, but like I sometimes wish my brain gave me the freedom to explore future characters further down the line. Um, but I just, I just can't. Yeah. That's such like good discipline. Cause like, I actually would, <laughs> I want to talk to you more about that um, because I have the problem where like all of the characters will start talking to me um, because the thing that I shared with you was like the, series that I'm working on or book that hopefully will turn into series is very similar in that like it's seasonal um set in one town and all of the characters are all talking to me already and they're like all like listen to me start with me and I'm like no please stop please stop I have to focus (laughs) well that was very much my experience with Charlie is that I wrote I wrote Love Light and Charlie is not in it very much but he has always had a very loud voice in my head 
And that when I feel like when I finally got the business casual, he was like, finally. <laughs> he was like, it's my shy. time. <laughs> You're just shouting at you. I love that. I love that you struggle at the beginning simply because like what I was talking to you about was that as a reader, the worst part is starting a book and like trying to like get through that slog of like mm -hmm. uh, just like falling in love with them because I know I want to. But with yours, it's like from page one. I'm in it. I'm ready. Like that was like that with Love Light and In the Weeds and Mixed Signals. Like every single time I start one, I'm like, well, I'm here. I'm ready. Falling in love. <laughs> like that spark just is there. I'm grateful because I struggle so hard with the beginning. And it's funny, my friend Annie, who I, I she knows all my bookish thoughts. Like whenever I'm working on anything, I she's like, I hate when you start a book because you're so annoying because I'm just like any. <laughs> I'm like, Annie, I can't do it. Annie, it's trash. Annie is garbage. And she pretty much just ignores me for like a full month. And then she's like, are you done the first half yet? Can we like, can we have a normal conversation? I'm like, yeah. <laughs> I was like, I remembered how to write. And she's like, yeah, do this every time. Yeah. Um, it's just, and I think you can tell as a reader, when you're reading books, you can tell, or I, maybe I can tell sometimes when I'm reading a book, like I'm like, this is where the author was like, yes, I know who they yeah. are. Um, which is fun to like see and experience, um, you know, the author falling in love with the characters and the reader falling in love with the characters. I think it's very closely entwined. Yeah. And I think that that's fun as a writer to go in and sometimes kind of scary to go in as a writer reading a book because you can kind of like see the craft and you kind of pay attention to that a little bit more that like sometimes it can take you out of it mm -hmm. I don't know if you ever feel this way that like when a plot line starts to go in a direction that I'm not really having fun with I'm like oh they could have done this <laughs> they could have gone this direction and then you start pulling it out and like rewriting their book unfortunately <laughs> yeah definitely it's happened a time or two um but I've read nothing but bangers lately, so I have no complaints on my end. Yeah, that's what we were talking about. It's like nothing but good books coming out this year. We've been we've been blessed. Yeah, fed by. I yeah. think we're in this really wonderful stage of romance where publishers are understanding that the New York Times bestseller list is dominated by romance yeah. writers, and and it's a top selling genre by like. Double the next one. <laughs> of course it is because it's yeah. like people want to read something that feels good and happy. Like I don't want to read something that's like as depressing as real life is. Like I yeah. want to escape. I want to feel good. I want to know that when I'm investing my time, energy, and thoughts into a book, that I'm gonna be taken care of at the end. And I think I I hope at least that you know publishers and book industry people are understanding that people want good things and speaking to that like your books like create such like a giddiness in me and other people I hope in other people definitely me um do you feel that when you're writing like when you're writing these women do you feel that I mean definitely like with the with the lover soft boys that you love to create <laughs> I love my soft boys I married a soft boy so I'm very lucky but I, I definitely get giddy writing, but once I'm through that first like 20% slog and I'm like, they're interacting and they're being flirty and they're enjoying each other. I definitely enjoy it as a writer. And I think the best writing for me happens when I'm sort of like unconscious of the fact that I'm writing and I'm just enjoying spending time with my characters. Yeah. 
They're kind of talking to you and you're transcribing it. Exactly. And like when I'm not aware of the words I'm choosing and I'm just sort of living in the moment with them, which is such a weird thing to say for people who don't work in writing or who have never written before. It's like, or people are like, how do you write a book? I'm like, I don't know. I don't know. (laughs) It just happens. I'm going to have to figure that out one day. (laughs) (laughs) It was funny. I met with a girl yesterday and she was asking me like, what's your process? I'm like, I wish I knew. Like it's hard to articulate when you get in the right frame of mind like the perfect writing day for me. I'm not aware that I'm writing. I'm just enjoying time with these characters. So yeah, I haven't found that sweet spot in this book yet that I'm working on <laughs> soon. We'll see. Are you writing two books right now? Is that? Uh, So First Time Caller, which I announced yesterday, is done. Um, It's with my editor, and I'm working on a new book. Very early stages, very agonizing stages right now. But this book has been such a challenge because it's very different than, like, Love Light. It's even different than First Time Caller. It's like I'm playing with things I've never played with before, um, which is a weird way of saying that. But it's just, it's challenging in a good way because I feel like I needed to fully step away from small town romance. Like I'm, I love my time in Love Light, but like I'm good taking a long break from writing small town romance. I'm eager to explore other things. This is like very different. I mean, it could get further different than what I'm doing, (laughs) but I I don't know how much further. Yeah. No, and I feel like that's so true because you really nailed small town romance because when I when people, you know, people message me a lot asking for book recommendations, especially book recommendations that feel like Gilmore Girls <laughs> um because that's the brand that I've created for myself online and I would like come up with some because like I think that like Emily Henry books are very good because there's like bantery and there's like this <laughs> sense of melancholy between falling in love but like now like yours are like definitely the first ones that I go to because like the town of Inglewild feels so um just like it, that it feels like that stars hollow feel and um something that like I love so much about your books and the way that they relate to Gilmore Girls because that's what it's a Gilmore Girls book club and like we take it's like a jumping off point whether it's like friends to lovers small town mother daughter the book that we're reading in February is about two co-stars or it's Ava Wilder's um oh nice and so it feels like a little different version of it like two co-stars on a tv show falling in love but this one even though it's a friends to lovers it feels like the best like comparison is the community because mm-hmm. I feel like that's what you do so well that like the romance is there. I'm living, loving, laughing for it. Like the soft <laughs> boys are great. You create such beautiful, complex heroines. But the community, the community that they live in is just so like cozy, comfy. It feels realistic. Like it feels like you could just pop in there, get some pizza, go to Alex's bookstore hope fingers crossed for a hazelnut latte but more so than that than just like the actual structure of the town you nailed the community because like I think that you can write a small town you can write a small town romance where they all have you know where it's like what is it trivia night and they all have these little aspects of small town but like I think what's hard is like 
adding in the community layer. And it's like the, in not to spoil Love Light, but like when they make the sign-up sheet and everyone's wondering what that's about and just how much they contribute to her without her thinking that that's the case, her kind of thinking she's alone, um, which I think is really similar to Gilmore Girls. It's like a lot of the times I see like those characters seemingly feel like they alo- they're alone, but they turn right back around and the entire town is behind them. And I think that's something that you do so well, especially with like the friendships between the um, characters. Because something that like I did want to mention was like the friendship between Layla and Evelyn and Stella. And I don't know about Nova, but like I imagine she's pals with them. <laughs> yes. Um, but it's just like you create like just so like such a supportive um, little group of gals. Um, I do want to throw Beckett in there because one of my favorite parts of In the Weeds is when Layla comes up and hugs him on dig day. Um, mm-hmm. I just started crying. Like, it's just because it's just like I think that the soft boys in our life need female friendship and like to be pulled into that and see that sort of love that is exchanged between women. Yeah. And I think the reason why I like writing soft boys so much, and I think probably the reason why the entire universe has fallen in love with Travis and Jason Kelsey. <laughs> I love them. I listen to podcasts. I, everyone every loves them. Yeah, because it's, it's two men who are not afraid of like speaking honestly about their emotions, um, being emotional with each other, celebrating each other's success. Yeah, they cry so much on that podcast. <laughs> and it's like, you can't, I can't think of like a more masculine environment for a person to be involved in than the NFL. Yeah. And I, I worked in the NFL for five years. Did you? I did. I worked for the Baltimore Ravens. When's and- BK Borison sports romance coming? <laughs> <laughs> I, so I've hesitated, hesitated writing sports romance because so many of my friends still work for the team and I don't want them to be like, hmm. So yeah. I've hesitated with that. I've, I have yeah. ideas for sports romances. But okay. I'll stand by. <laughs> way far down the line, maybe until everyone who I know that works for the team no longer works for the team. Okay. I'll wait. I'll be here. Don't worry. (laughs) But I think, you know, why so many people resonate strongly with those two guys is that they're just like, they're not afraid to be emotional and like kind and genuine with each other. And that's why I like soft boys so much is because they're just in tune with their, I think I told you last time, like, I really wanted Luca to be raised and surrounded by women. All of them. Because that was the other thing I wanted to bring up. Because it's just like, I love writing strong women and I love writing men that recognize and appreciate strong women and don't try to take anything away from them, but be like, love what you're doing, babe. I'll be right here if you need me. Like, I, I like that type of relationship. And I think Beckett is another one who is very much surrounded by women. He has three sisters. Um, yeah. Which is my family. My brother has three sisters. <laughs> and is he a soft boy? <laughs> I'd say he's like verging on, you know. Yeah. He's, he, he's, he's in there. He's 6'4 and um, he gets all the girly things. <laughs> yeah, there's like, I think there, you can tell. He's not I'm, raising ducks. <laughs> that's a knock for him. <laughs> I'll let him know. <laughs> but like there, there's a difference between men that have been raised by women and w- around women and men who have not. And I just think men who have been raised under the guidance of strong women are better for it. Yeah. Um, and that's why I love Beckett and Lucas. And even 
even Caleb, he, his family is very much anchored by his grandmother. Um, yeah. His grandmother is like in his kitchen randomly for like half the book of mixed signals. She calls him <laughs> her bear cub. Like he's just very like firmly. He loves his grandmother. And like he doesn't shy away from emotions or relationships because of it. And really, yeah. Charlie doesn't have a strong female presence in his life. So he sort of like patches together his own female group. Yeah. <laughs> he sort of forcefully ad- has himself be adopted by Abuela, by Caleb's grandmother. I feel like he would be in the Valentine's Day party. Beckett would be prepping it and Charlie would just like, I'm here. We're all gathering, right? <laughs> I actually think Nova would be in the barn with Caleb, Luca, and Beckett, and Charlie would be outside <laughs> celebration. They're all crying watching Sleepless in Seattle. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Like 100%. And I think in business casual, one of the most fun things for me and rewarding and joyful things was writing everyone together. Um, there's one scene in particular that's everybody like all the main characters, all the main couples in one Just like together. all you can ever want when you have like a series like that, just them all in the same room. It's just, it was, it was so fun for me to like write the culmination of all their love stories at one point. Um, and there's so much love in that scene between the couples, between each other, towards like Charlie and Nova. And it's just, it was, it was very self-indulgent. And when I sent it to my editor, I was like, the last 25 pages of this are just pure wish fulfillment for me. Um, but it seems like people are enjoying that aspect of it. But it's like, it is so cheesy. I can't even explain <laughs> how cheesy I got. I was just like sobbing at my computer. My husband's like, you good? I'm like, no. Like, I no. just <laughs> joyful with all, all, everyone loving on everyone. Yeah. Oh, I love that. And that's how you want to like end, I guess, like a series is like mm-hmm. feeling like you have like, given everything that you can to them even if it's like you know cheesy but like that's what you love like yeah. that's that's what you want from this it's like you want to be crying because everyone is like sentimental and expressing mm-hmm. their feelings and the soft boys are all softing together <laughs> I love I love I just I love when men get together and like don't shy away from love mm-hmm. like they say, I miss you and I love you. And my husband's friend group is 100% that way. Whenever they see, my husband has this, call them the Goombas. Like there's <laughs> 30 of them. No, there's like 15 of them. They've been friends since preschool, which is so unheard of. I feel like, yeah. with, like I don't have friends from preschool, but my husband has 13 of them. Wow. Um, and at one of their weddings, he had all 13 groomsmen lined up and they were all just crying and like, they, they walked each other down the aisle. It's just like there's a fabulous group of men in <laughs> the whole world. And like That's we so saw them cute. we saw them this past weekend and it was all of the boys together and they were just like all the wives are like and partners are like when it's time to say goodbye, it's like we have to prepare for it because they're gonna start crying probably <laughs> together next week. It's take half an hour. Yeah, it's like okay, make your rounds, but we the kids saying we have to go now (laughs) like I just love that kind of love it's the best yeah and I like I like the idea of like like 
men wanting to be nice boys. Like, that's what, where I'm at with Caleb is he's like, is it because I'm too nice? And Layla's like, no, nice is good. Yeah. He's like, I don't know, because, like, I'm nice and I don't I don't know what's going on. Um, which I feel like there's a flip side to that that can be, like, self-identifying of, like, I'm a nice guy. Like, there's yeah. a definitive line. But mm-hmm. I, I just love how much... Um, your characters in the same way that like reflected in your real life like they love love like Caleb loves love he loves his grandparents love he loves his parents love and he was like it's almost like he's like no worries I'm gonna find that too in like the same way he's like a little bit worried like am I gonna find that yeah and I I, I just love that so much and I like that um I like that it manifests in your real life because I feel like a lot of the times when we have these soft boys it's like a little bit wish fulfillment because we're kind of surrounded by people that maybe aren't so great. Um, but I love that. And talking about the NFL being like the most masculine place. I don't remember where I was talking about this, maybe on my podcast, maybe in my real life (laughs) talk a lot. Um, (laughs) is that I think it's so cute that men like want to dress up like their favorite players. Like they all show up and like, they like pick a, I was about to say character, like they pick a player, they -hmm. put their jersey on, they wear it at the game, they wear it at their house, they sometimes wear it out not on game day, just because they love us sing so much and they all show up wearing the same color and they want to cheer for them. I just think that's really cute. And like, in like a non-condescending way, it's just like a precious little thing that happens. And I think that there's like an easy way for like football to be really toxic, but Mm -hmm. it's also like, it can also be really cute. (laughs) Yeah, like it's very much an football teams are such like a legacy thing that are it's handed down with families and like it's fandom but it's community and it's culture and it's something that unites a lot of football teams are blue collar working class towns like green bay baltimore right uh, pittsburgh so it's very much like a uniting thing for people and it can there are certainly examples where like men are very toxic about it um but i think when it's celebrated as something that unites the community it's a really wonderful thing uh, and the ravens are playing on sunday for the afc championship and i'm stoked because taylor swift is coming i was about to say taylor swift's <laughs> coming to town <laughs> and my husband uh two days ago was like should i make reservations at the four seasons because baltimore is not baltimore is not new york baltimore is not los angeles we have like two good hotels maybe and like a handful of good restaurants and my husband's like making a list comparing like where would Taylor (laughs) go (laughs) probably a helicopter into the city (laughs) honestly she's probably gonna get airdropped directly in the stadium and then leave if I were her um yeah but it's funny we live close to the four seasons so I'm like gonna take lots of long walks and yeah might like sit in the lobby pretend to write a novel (laughs) Just to catch a glimpse. Oh my gosh, I love that. I like, I've seen so many people talk about like the the game is come. There's like a game happening, but the queen is also coming to town. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's just it's funny. She's like she has on another tour, but NFL teams. Yeah, <laughs> just going through the stadiums that she's already you know conquered. <laughs> yeah, <hold out. laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh, I love that. Who would have thought this would have, would have ended up with us talking about the NFL? Not Honestly. me. <laughs> Not I. But, like, I really, truly will sit and stand by um, for BK Borson Sports Romance, especially after your feelings on it. I feel like you would – I feel like you'd nail that. <laughs> I have a really fun idea that I'm not going to talk about out of superstition, but I have a I have a really fun idea that I'd love to write one day down the road. Okay. 
okay, I'll cross my fingers that it manifests <laughs> and that we get that. Um, but the way that I was kind of wanting to end, I guess, Galentine slash NFL portion of this um, is <laughs> I wanted to know, like, of all of your heroines, whose job would you want to have the most? Oh, goodness. Probably Stella's. That was like 100% wish fulfillment. Yeah. I don't have the patience for baking all day like Layla does. Evelyn, I'm not as crazy about social media or passionate as Evelyn is. I No one should give me a tattoo gun, certainly. <laughs> um, so definitely Stella. Yeah, it's I think funny. so too. A tree farm became available in Maryland, close by where we live. And my husband's like, should we buy it? I'm like, I would not know the first thing to do with it. I was like, maybe when we retire, we can buy an actual like light farms. Yeah. Oh, that would be so fun. Wouldn't have, it be like, great? A little, you have a little bookstore with a little coffee shop. Oh my gosh, I'll go on on this with you. This sounds like fun. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I feel like I need to have a, a GoFundMe for like, do you want to come to Love Light Farms? Oh my gosh, they absolutely would. And it would turn into like what it has in mixed signals where people are like getting engaged there and first dates. Like that's <laughs> poor Layla. <laughs> that's a totally what it, she's baking for all these people desperately in love. Oh, poor Layla. Um, which I, not to like bring up the covers of your books, but I do want to bring them up. I love the covers of these books so much because you were talking about how a lot of the decisions with Berkeley didn't translate, but you have to keep your covers. Yes, Berkeley was 100% on board. I think the first conversation I had with them after I signed the deal was, don't worry, we're keeping the covers. They only updated yeah. the fonts. Um, yeah. And I know when people found out I got acquired by Berkeley, that was like, hundreds of people saying but are you keeping the covers like, yes we're keeping yeah <laughs> which something that I absolutely loved is that which I didn't realize at the time that you had designed the first cover of Love Light Farms okay. yes. and when you were like I'm I hate the old cover I'm so excited for this new one I was like oh my god that's so aggressive towards whoever <laughs> designed that <laughs> Yeah, I was hating on some poor imaginary design person. Yeah, I was like, whoa, she's just, she's angry <laughs> Yes, I was at herself, as it turns out. Savage at myself, yes. I was sleep deprived. I probably had some sort of toddler substance on me at the time. It was, it just, it never felt like the first cover. So the, for people who don't know what we're talking about, the first, first cover when I first self-published yeah. like, was this horrendous. My husband has my husband has it proudly on display on that bookshelf up there. <laughs> um, I think he true love. <laughs> um, but it's like this blue, dark blue. Luca has a beard. I don't he know. Has a beard. I'll post it like at the end of the carousel <laughs> of this episode. <laughs> it's horrible, and it just it, it never felt like an accurate representation of what was inside the book. So when I redesigned the cover with Sam and Ink and Laurel. She did an incredible job. Um, it felt very much like mine. Like that was what I wanted Stella and Luca to be. And so it felt appropriate and not yeah. uh, stress-driven, fevered. Luca. And we get the little um, air freshener on it. And there's just little like bits on each of them just feel so perfect. I think too, that's the joy of designing a cover after you've written the book. Because I think with all... All of them, except for the Love Light redesign. We did the covers first. Oh, really? Mm -hmm. And I wrote the books to follow. So it was fun with that one, like knowing the details, like the um, air freshener and having that included, whereas the other ones, 
have been less detail oriented because I didn't know the details. You didn't know the details. <laughs> Although I'm looking at I'm looking at business casual right now. I'm trying to decide. Yeah. Her tattoos are definitely like intentional on business casual. But there's no like now I know there's certain things I could probably incorporate. But I didn't. But yeah. <laughs> But they're still beautiful. They're great covers. Um, But you talked that you were kind of done writing Small Town. And I think that like that makes so much sense because you nailed this one so much. And it is so easy that you could just like flip on over to the town that's right next to theirs and tell their stories and they would pop in, um, which would still be fun. Still an option. Um, But I like that you're kind of going in a new direction and we're getting to see something different from you, Um, especially set in Baltimore, which I think will be really fun. Um, But I do want to get into a little bit of Gilmore Girls of it. Let's Um, do it. you know, reading in the weeds, because I, the first time we talked, I had only read Love Life Farms, but as I got into in the weeds and they were at town meetings and there was so much going on here that I was like, oh, this just feels so perfect. But like, again, you just nailed the community aspect of it so much. And I was like, there's no way that there's, that she has not encountered this show at all. Um, But uh, as I was like, back in December telling people, I was like, oh, I'm going to talk to BK Borson about Love Life Farms. And they were like, you know, she's team Jess, right? I was like, Okay, great. They were like saying that like, you guys are going to rumble, right? (laughs) And I just was like, oh, no, like, we're just we're going to have real we're going to conversation. We're going to talk because my co-host is Team Jess. But like the way they said that, it was like, you better better watch out. Um. (laughs) I made a terrible decision. I told you about this the last time we talked, but I made a silly, goofy reel like months ago, still getting engagement about um, if you like Gilmore Girls, you'd probably like my books, which is true because I love Gilmore Girls. So true. Yeah. And I wanted to, when I wrote Love Life Farms, I wanted the town to feel like Star Hollow because it was such a comforting, warm place for me when I was growing up to disappear to that I wanted to like evoke that same feeling. So made a silly, goofy reel about like, <laughs> um, which Love Life book to choose based on Rory's boyfriends. And obviously I was like, if you like Jess, you like this book. And then I wrote, if you like Logan, and then I said, you're wrong. And I was teasing and people got so like that reel has like over 2 million views, like thousands. Which, like, congratulations. That's right. <laughs> I regret it every single morning when I wake up and I see people arguing in the comments about Rory's ideal boyfriend. Like, I, yes, I am team Jess. However, my best friend is team Logan and I see the case for both. Yeah. I don't see the case for Dean and I never will. I don't think anyone will. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Our first episode is called Starcross Lovers and Other Reasons to Hate Dean Forrester. <laughs> but the episode that's airing right before this one, like last week, is we are forcing ourselves to say only nice things about Dean for the whole episode. And we did it pretty well. We managed an hour of saying really positive things about impressive we thought it was very impressive as well and we got um like tally marks if we said bad things um so i don't know who had the most tally marks but (laughs) there were not no tally marks (laughs) it's just funny because i think people i think from that point on now people expect me to be like an aggressive just shipper and i'm not i appreciate his character i appreciate his character with royce yeah 
But something we've also talked about before you and I is that having an appreciation for for a fictional relationship between two, two fictional characters, sometimes it feels people. And I think people get so passionate because they see themselves so strongly in Rory. Yeah. And I think something that Gilmore Girls does really well is that like each of her boyfriends is someone we've dated at some point. Um, yeah. And I think some people have had really good experiences with the Jesses they've dated. And some people have had really horrible experiences with that type of man. Um, same with Logan, same with Dean. Like we've all yeah. Dean and hated it. Yeah. <laughs> like I exactly. I just think people associate self-insert with Rory quite a bit. Yeah, I think that's so true. Is like your um like your history your dating history can like so clearly determine who it is. And like luckily at the time when Gilmore Girls came out, it was like 12, 13. I had no <laughs> dating history. I was right. like I was like, Logan, it's him, and it's always going to be him, and it has been him for the last, what, like, 19 years? Yeah. Um, so I didn't really have that, like, sort of, like, it's more of, like, a nostalgic thing that is just, like, stuck around. Like, I couldn't I couldn't do that to my young self to change my team this late in the game. Yeah. Um, but what's really funny is my co-host, she got really big on TikTok because she, like, would roast Dean so much. Dean sucks. We actually sell Dean sucks merch now. Um, <laughs> but... <laughs> She, like, we got to, like, on our Patreon, we were rewatching episode by episode, and she kind of realized that she had just ended things with a Dean-ish type person and was, like, when people would be like, I like Dean, she'd be like, how? Yeah. And it was because of, like, that person in her life. And I feel like that's so true in the reverse of, like, you have a Jess in your life that you really love or you feel connected to Jess. So if you, you're you saying like, oh, I love Jess and say, great, you love me or like, you don't like Jess, you don't like me mm-hmm. because you're so tied to it. And I think that that's, that's the same thing with your characters. I feel like you could so easily like blend yourself into them to someone to be like, oh, I don't like this character for so much. And you're like, oh, mm-hmm. that was the one I connected <laughs> with the most. <laughs> like if someone says they don't like Beckett, I'm like, oh, <laughs> We're gonna we rumble. Should, we should. We should. <laughs> we're gonna rumble. I would. I if someone says they didn't like Beckett, I would rumble with them just out of like pure spite. Um, but yeah, like if you just have that connection to your favorite characters, and of course, mm-hmm. as you know, I experience that literally every time I post a TikTok or a reel that someone's coming in the comments. Um, but what's really interesting is we had one that hit like 8.5 million of me kind of making fun of Lorelai of like the fact that she has to go to Friday night dinner of she uh, gets thousands and thousands of dollars from her parents and she has to go have a gourmet meal and a martini every week. And it's just so hard for her, which is a joke. Like there's, (laughs) there's just so many hard aspects of that, but every day there's comments of people just unloading their familial trauma in it. And like some of them I'm like, Whoa, like, I almost want to send you my therapist's name Correct. for you to talk about that someplace else. Um, <laughs> and some of them are like, they very much understand the joke or they bring very good points to the conversation. Um, but yeah, people get really, um, really attached to mm-hmm. to this, which like, I don't, I would never judge someone. I, my whole job is this thing that I've become attached to. <laughs> right. But I feel like it's Gilmore Girls is one of those shows that I feel like a lot of women such as ourselves, we grew up with Rory. We're like, Rory was the same age as us, pretty much, give or take yeah. a few years. Like, her struggles were very much our struggles at the time. Um, 
And now, like, I think I've told you this before, I struggle rewatching the series, even though it was like such a massive part of my teenage years, because I don't, 33 year old me is different than 16 year old me. And I don't want to ruin that thing that meant so much to me by just having a very adult perspective on it. Cause like, I don't, I don't want to judge Laura for her parenting decisions. Yeah. Like it's, I've sort of kept it as a thing in my head that I have loved and will love because I don't, I don't, I don't want to change it in my brain. Yeah. When did you start watching it? I I remember watching it on the WB, like live. Which is so rare to find people who watched it live. <laughs> I know. And I remember watching the, they would do, I think it got syndicated on ABC or it was back when it was Fox Family. It was ABC Family. Yeah. It was like a, it was like a five and six, I think. Yes. I remember like, watching it when I got home from school, like sitting on my bed with all my stuff, like my binders open and, you know, all that type of stuff, like very nostalgic for me and comforting and a good place to disappear to and I'm I'm afraid to watch it now my sister did it like a re watched it for the first time she's five years younger than me so she wasn't like experiencing it when it was on tv um but she did a watch like a couple of years ago and she's like oh my god I love this show I was like yes she's like do you want to watch it I was like no <laughs> I don't I can't watch it again yeah did um, you watch the revival I, so I started watching it, but then I got afraid and I didn't, um, because there were some bits of it that were like scratching my brain, not in the right way. Yeah. Uh, and I think we've discussed this, how we grew up with Rory and Rory's a person and she's an adult person, but Rory makes very human decisions that aren't always good decisions. And I struggle with Rory not being a hopeful everything is sunny teenage girl because I think it disappoints the teenage girl that lives inside of me this is probably back with my therapist but like I I struggle with adult Rory making poor decisions yeah because I feel like it's undoing who she wanted to be as a teenager and maybe that's the point like who we think we're going to be when teenagers isn't who we end up. And that's okay. Yeah. Um, but I feel like it's not. <laughs> yeah. No, I think that's so true. And I think one of the reasons that I like struggle with adult Rory as well, because like Rory was like me girl growing mm-hmm. up. Like I wanted to, I think at some point I was like, I'm going to be a journalist. And I was like, I don't want to work in journalism, but like she did. And like, I, can never like figure out if like I like to read because she did or I was gravitated towards her because I also like to read um but like as she starts making these choices and like changing her trajectory I really wish that the revival wouldn't have um I guess like made fun of millennials as much as it did and maybe delivered more of the like it's okay to not be your 16 year old self it's okay to not be burdened by the things that you've wanted your whole life even if you've told everyone you've ever met that that's what you wanted to do it's okay to change your mind for what fits you and I feel like you can you can get that out of it if you really try and like really squeeze it out of there but it didn't feel like the intention um because like I think that that's like a really important lesson to learn especially like as like gifted teenagers you're like this is what I wanted. This is what I wanted my whole life to be. And there is that like little piece of you that like watches her make these mistakes. And you're like, 
No, I didn't end up like that either. Like the years is supposed to happen for you because it didn't happen for me. Yeah. Yeah. I think it takes a little bit of the magic away from it. Like I think what I love about writing the Love Light series is that yes, it's unrealistic that this community is so supportive and lovely and warm. And yes, it's unrealistic that these men are so soft and gentle and kind and good and hot and yeah. all of them. It's <laughs> Just all... how they grow them in Inglewild. <laughs> yeah, but like I think it's okay with some things that we consume to be grounded in this fantasy, warm, good feeling. And I don't think we need to challenge that with reality all the time. Like it's okay. Yeah. Like, just have things be full wish fulfillment and like joyful to disappear to. Um, yeah. And I think that's why I love so much about this book club is that it takes those elements that you love in the show that is really rooted in reality. And to be honest, like some of my favorite episodes of Gilmore Girls over there, you're like yelling, screaming, fighting at each other, like yelling, like Luke and Lorelai yelling in the streets. Like, I love that. <laughs> like, I love when they're yelling at Friday night dinner. Like, it's so perfect. But there is this element of like, I do want to take this like friends to lovers idea and pull it someplace really warm and cozy where no one yells at each other. And there's like no real, the conflict is that she doesn't know that he loves her. Like she doesn't realize she has a soft place to land. Um, and so I think that there's that aspect of it that I like about the book club where we can like pull away from the big, huge drama and come into like the wish fulfillment of it. Mm -hmm. Um, because like I, that's my dad actually just rewatched or not rewatched. He watched the whole series for the first time because he was like, what is your job about? Like, <laughs> let me see what this is. And his like biggest takeaway is he was like, what happened to Lane? He was like, it's it's fictional. She should have been a rock star. Yeah. And I think that's one of like the most disappointing parts is that like some people get a little wish fulfillment. Like we get Paris who just like she becomes a lawyer, a doctor, everything she wants because that's Paris. But it's like. Lane's just stuck back in this small town. Um, I think that like the picking and choosing of where that happens is a little disappointing. Yeah. And I, I, I didn't watch this piece of it, but I, I obviously I was very in tune with what was happening, but like Rory's romantic decisions were frustrating and yeah. it's not because I don't like Logan. Like, I just felt yeah. like if she had done that with Jess, I would be really frustrated too. Yeah. It just felt like a disservice to all of her relationships that she's had. And I feel like it was a disservice to the relationship she has with her mother. Because, mm. um, like, I think something that I hold on to now is different than the way I watched it. I think Lorelai's hope for Rory throughout the series is that Rory will be a better version of her. And I think that's any mother's hope is that your child will be a better version of you and like make better choices and do better. Um, and I think the series ends or the revival ends with Rory sort of slotting right into the same place that Lorelai started with different circumstances around her, certainly yeah. supportive family, but it just felt like a cop out to, to like, I felt like it was like a disservice to all the character building and relationship building they did with the whole show. You know, it's just yeah. like. Yeah. I, I, and I think that's true of like most people. I don't know a lot of people who went into the revival and left it and they were like, Oh, that was, that was everything I wanted. Cause like, I think that the thing I love about Gilmore Girls is like, I like coming back to these characters because they feel like my friends and I like coming back to this town because it feels like a place I grew up in like 
digitally fictionally mm-hmm. and a lot of in a lot of ways these characters raised me like Lorelai is definitely one of my mothers mm-hmm. um that like coming into that after being away for so long was just like ugh, I think I like sobbed in my bed for like the first 20 minutes watching this because I was like my friends are back yeah but like by the end of it I was like that was um that was that was something yeah <laughs> that was a thing and and it's it's so different than the original series I think tonally like the everything just kind of feels off which makes sense because this time has passed um but I think that aspect of it of like returning to that is what I love so much about it um but the content <laughs> is the part of it that like I would say most of our audience kind of agrees that they watch it for the nostalgia. They don't really watch it for the story that takes place. Which is a shame because I feel like they could have ended it in so many. And I probably I think they probably did intend to end it like the way they ended it. They're hoping that the viewer takes certain things away from it. Um but I don't know. It just felt like, again, sometimes I just want happy wish fulfillment and not, I don't know, whatever that was. <laughs> whatever uh, occurred. And then, like, it's really realistic. I mean, you know, going into the workforce, not being able to figure it out in the same way that your parents did. Yeah. Um, but um, I sometimes I want realistic. Sometimes I do. Sometimes I want Beckett and his duck. <laughs> yep. With a little knit hat. With a little knit hat, kill me, please, please. Like I just can't handle that. <laughs> um, but you watched it so long ago, I guess, like that you have this sort of like, like can't let go of like your teenage version of it, despite yeah. having tons of feelings about how uh, it takes place. Do you feel yourself as a Lorelai now, like oh, uh, now that you have kids? Because you like resonated with Rory so much. You write now, you're a writer, you're also writing a book in the same way that Rory did. I don't know if you got far enough into that. Yeah. Yes. I don't know. That's an interesting question. I don't think I'll ever associate me being a mother with my joy of Gilmore Girls because it's just I think that's what makes it so difficult for me that the idea of returning and watching it. Like because I'm a mom now, like imagining me watching Lorelai as a mother, I probably have a lot of cringing, you know, like, it's just like, it's not, <laughs> yeah. my, not that she's a bad mother, because I don't think she is. But like, I feel yeah. like her approach to parenting is wildly different than my, I think it would like, I don't think I can consume it as a mother. I think I need to keep it firmly in my brain as Teenage. as you being the Rory in it yeah it's also interesting because like right now imagine having like a 16 year old Gosh. rather than your bell loving four-year-old <laughs> my little princess princess bear yeah. yeah I and like I don't begrudge any of the decisions she made because I've I've not been there but yeah. it's just being a mom and watching Lorelai be a mom is I I have found like so many of my relationships have changed in my life since becoming a mother because I just have a different lens at which I look at things. Um, consuming media has been really different for me as a mother. Like there are certain things I can't watch anymore or like can't experience. Um, so I don't, I'm like, it's such a protected piece of me that I don't want yeah. to disrupt it. 
No, that's so fair. And I, I think I talked about this before is like, I have to be very conscious in my life of because this like thing that I've loved since I was like a small teenager uh, has become such a giant portion of my like now career that -hmm. there's still this little piece inside of me that like things I don't necessarily want to talk about that like I keep really Mm -hmm. like firmly hidden um, because I mean for a long time I didn't talk about how much I watched Gilmore Girls I'd watch it like literally every single day after school and I mentioned that to someone they're like that's weird and I was like well that is a secret now (laughs) it's not though like I feel like that that goes so hand in hand with like enjoying romance books and like yeah girls who are ridiculed for enjoying Taylor Swift and like I think women and girls choosing to have enjoyment over harmless things is like so often the root of ridicule because like god forbid we just enjoy ourselves and have a good time yeah Um, and that's really what we're trying to do here is like we talk a lot about taylor swift we of course talk about gilmore girls talk about romance and have a whole book club about it and i just hope that like people come away from podcast episodes and like consuming our content that like love what you love and I feel that way about like the boyfriends and I feel that way about like we can criticize every single one of the characters but today they're all fictional and you can love all of them and there is like aspects of it that like yeah you should probably recognize some of the things that Dean is doing not great Lorelai's not always making the best choices Mm -hmm. Rory slept with too many other people's men (laughs) but like (laughs) like come, come on let's just please. But at the end of the day, it's like this fictional thing that like, I want people to feel so comfortable loving. Like I want people to come away from this. Like that's one of the reasons I have the book club is I want more people who love this thing to realize that they love romance novels. Of mm-hmm. like, if you, if the entry point could be Luke and Lorelai and I could guide you over to Beckett, the grumpy farmer, like. There's a you, lot of crossover there. Yeah. <laughs> that like, you like this one thing, you might like this other thing too. Cause like, I think that the joy, especially here on Valentine's Day, like the joy of the things that are very girly pop that we love mm-hmm. can be taken very seriously because we just, it, there's no reason to hide the things that you love. Yeah. And I, there's nothing wrong with like celebrating women and like loving love and joy. I think for a long time, I was the same way that like I watched Good More Girls every day. And I remember like I would tell people and then it would be like a point of shame, like, enjoy this frivolous thing that's not adding to your life but it is just because I'm not like reading uh, I don't even know like some philosopher doesn't mean I'm not growing and changing and learning like you can learn through things that feel silly and fun like yeah you feel seen by something that's that's growth that's like yeah of your feelings and emotions yeah and it feels like a really safe place to learn things because it's like the the romance books aren't winning Pulitzer Prizes, but like they're like, I feel like making people recognize what they want from life, um, that like the feelings that they have are very, very valid or very universal. And I feel like the same thing about Gilmore Girls. It's like your books and the show have just such like a, um, that you just want to revisit it time and time again. Cause like, I know that I told you this about Love Light Farms. It's like the first time I read it, I was like, I feel like I'm rereading this because mm-hmm. it's just such a comfortable, cozy place to be that like it just the translation from Gilmore Girls to Love Light Farms just felt like so seamless because I was like oh I found one of my old favorite authors that I'm reading for the first time because it just felt so like nostalgic and like I had already been to this town that 
I was visiting for the first time. Yep. It's just so great. But I do want to get back to uh, some of the book club questions that we've okay. already gone through and already answered, but no one has heard them except for me. <laughs> and it's and been, I, been some time, so I feel like I yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, we talked about, I'm just going through the exact questions that we had the last time. We talked a lot about the cover, which just absolutely love. Um, and talked about the fact that like this felt like I was meeting an old friend for the first time again, because it's just, I love your writing so much. I won't make you sit through what I made you sit through the last time where I just like, I just love your writing so much. Like I can't, like even what I read from Mixed Signals earlier on in this episode, um, I could have kept going, but I was like, this isn't the audiobook. I need to, <laughs> <laughs> I need to stop because there's so many like beautiful, wonderful moments. And maybe I am making you sit through it again, but like, I think that to write really long books is actually a lot easier than writing short concise books in the way that you do because you can just like turn a phrase like a short little sentence and convey so much about your characters and relate to the reader and I'm sure convey some sense of who you are in that and it's just it's like a magic trick and you do it so so well um and I won't I won't I won't make you I won't say anything else I won't make you sit through that (laughs) because it's just so good you're one of my new favorite authors and I think beyond writing just you're just a kind generous person that like it reflects in the work that you do um but beyond that we'll go back to the book um is that the way that I kind of explained it it was like it's a hallmark concept you know like there's just this um Christmas tree farm the woman that runs it, her best friend that has to um, pretend to be her boyfriend, which I realize we haven't actually explained what this book is about um, as we got (laughs) this far into it. So um, do you want to give us a little explanation? Sure. So Love Light Farms is the first in the series. Um, Each book, there's four books in the series in total, and each one is a different season. So Love Light is winter and Louise is spring. Mixed Signals is summer and Business Casual is fall. Um, in the first book, Stella is in some trouble with her Christmas tree farm and she enters a social media contest to sort of win some money to bring life to the farm. Um, but she lies on the application and says she owns the farm with her boyfriend. She doesn't have a boyfriend, so she enlists the help of Luca, her best friend, who very enthusiastically and readily agrees to be her fake boyfriend. He was waiting He's for so ready. Yeah, he was so ready. He was like, yes, done. Cool. Um, and then in the weeds is about Beckett, who is the lead farmer um, at the Christmas tree farm. Um, and the social media influencer who was running the contest from the first book, Evelyn, Evelyn's burnt out and she decides to return to the last place she was happy, which is Love Light Farms, where she reconnects with Beckett um, because they previously shared a one night stand. Um, so they're very like red string connected where they've run into each other before and they're, you know, sort of falling back together. Invisible string, if you will. <laughs> and then mixed signals is Layla and Caleb's story, which I feel like we talked most about them, which they're my they're my lover, boys and girls. Yeah. But, I feel like we talk most about them because it's sitting right next to me. And I was reading <laughs> it right before we got on. <laughs> Layla so badly wants to be loved and Caleb wants to love. Um they've both been unlucky in love. How many times can I say love? Um Well that's what the that's what the name of the game is this month. <laughs> um They've both been unlucky in love and they decide to, you know, sort of troubleshoot with each other and see what they're doing wrong. 
Um, and of course they fall in love along the way. Um, and those are my, my three, my three guys that are out now. And then business casual, the fourth comes out in July, July, they just pushed it back. Um, and Nova wants nothing to do with love. Charlie is just out here having a good time, party boying it up. And he's in town for reasons, <laughs> but Charlie's <laughs> okay. in town. Charlie's in town for a little bit. Um, and so him and Nova keep running into each other and there's chemistry there. So they decide to try to get it out of their systems. However, that does not go to plan. So as it never does. I love when things don't go to plan. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I love when you mess up their plans. Um, but they're all just such good. They're all just such good books. And if you loved Love Light Farms, I would definitely continue on. Um, because they're as the first, as I said about the first one, it's like that Hallmark concept, but what makes it not feel that way is the writing, the the story that you're telling between the two of them and the way that you tell it. And I think that most presently, one of my favorite things about it is the way that you feel the friendship between Stella and Luca. Cause like this so easily could have been a book where you do a dual timeline where you're like building up to like the last 10 years up until this moment and revealing all of these little pieces of them falling in love. But I think you do such a good job of like giving the backstory of like them having an inside joke and giving the context for it or her explaining something about her own life. But like Luca is so laced mm -hmm. in every single moment of her life that like the way that you've developed it, I was like, I'm here for it. I was there. I don't need to read any more about it because like I get it. I'm one of them. And I think sometimes with dual timeline, if you don't have a break in the relationship that sort of explains like Luca and Stella, there was never a point where they were like, this is broken. We need to fix it. Yeah. Um, I think dual timelines are most effective in that there's some event or conversation or thing that happens to the, to those two people that you need to experience it with them to understand yeah. where it's exactly what you said. Stella and Luca have just slowly interwoven in each other's lives. And it's, Stella's memories are so often Luca's memories because they've been together just, you know, in a different sort of love um, the whole time. And the story of Love Light is just them discovering that there, there can be a different relationship for them and it'll be okay for them to change and evolve and be something different. Yeah. And I feel like we've given a lot of spoilers, but like very light, very more very of like concept. Yeah. But this portion of it is a lot more spoiler heavy. So if you've not let read Love Light Alarm, Love Light Alarm, Love Light <laughs> Farms <laughs> specifically, then travel away, read the book, come back, press pause, come back and see us. And here you're back. You've read it. But the first thing that I'm talking about, because I guess like the beginning of their relationship is the grilled cheese detail. Like, mm -hmm. you know, he runs into her, asks her if she wants a grilled cheese. And then you find out that his dad made him grilled cheese when he <laughs> was upset. I just was like, oh, she's devious. She's out to get me. <laughs> so many people in our book club were like, what? How dare she? <laughs> I love putting details like that that seem really small, um, but show such care because I feel like in life in general, like 
we're all informed in our caretaking of like how we were cared for. So I think it's the ultimate, you know, love language to be like, this is how someone told me they loved me. And this is how I'm going to tell you I love you. And I just think it's really special because like there's so many ways to show love, care, and affection. Um, I think it's really special to have those little things that are so specific and personal, you know? Yeah. And that's really what makes it. It's like falling in love, especially in romance novels, is all in the details. Like you can have these grand sweeping plots, which I think is another um, criticism that is often given to romance novels. I was like, what's the plot? I'm like, they're falling in love. Yeah, what do you, what do you need? Like there's like all these like a loose like this is what's going on, but it's like, they're falling in love, just pay attention. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I think that like adding in those little details is really what just makes it so sweet, or I guess in the grilled cheese sense, very savory. <laughs> um, but someone said that Luca, he says, I have a plan. <laughs> and they were like, that was so hot. Um, that he is just like the blueprint. <laughs> There's a man with a plan. He's a man with a plan. We love it. Like that's, I think that's what I need from someone. I just need someone to have the plan and just like enact it for me. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that's what Stella needed too. Um, yeah. She was kind of lost and she needed someone who just showed up with a plan and he did time and time again. And they said that Lucas, the blueprint, I totally agree um, that he just, he was the right person for her. And like you were talking about before, it's just like the women that raised him really mm -hmm. made him that way. Mm -hmm. Yes, Luca's raised by a strong woman, and then all of her sisters, his aunts, he has a very large Italian family. Um, and so they very much, uh, as most Italian families do, he is raised by everyone and not just one. So, yeah. Right. And Luca, I love that scene in Love Light when, you know, Stella is agonizing over asking Luca to be her fake boyfriend, so concerned. And then Luca's just like calmly eating. It's like, yeah, sure. Okay. And like in his head, he's like screaming at the top of his lungs. He's yeah, like, doing black flips. <laughs> and for him, I feel like he probably recognized that moment as like she's reaching out. She needs someone to be like, "I've got it." I've so got I, you. He's, he's been waiting for this moment where Stella's, where Stella asks, because I think that's probably the duration of their relationship. He's known that Stella's not ready. She's not ready. She's not ready. And then she asks and he's like, okay, like go time. Like, yeah, he's been ready for 10 years. <laughs> yeah. And someone mentioned someone who is one of our Italian listeners slash readers said that you nailed Luca's mom and aunties um, mm -hmm. and that his mother was her favorite character, which like she is one of the best. I need her to stock up my fridge ASAP. Um, what inspired his family and like him, the women that he grew up with? So my best friend growing up. It was Italian, is Italian, is Italian, was Italian. Continues to be Italian. <laughs> Continues to be Italian to this day. Uh, so, um, but every holiday was very much like Luca's mom and aunties, where there was a lot of good-natured teasing and nagging and baby pictures and people disappearing to the basement to collect themselves. So <laughs> it just felt like that was sort of my little um, love letter to her family to honor yeah. them in way. Um, and plus I just felt like Luca is such a man who was raised by women. Yeah. He's um, your original soft boy, soft boy with the plan. Yeah. <laughs> and I love that so much. Um, someone asked, did you do a lot of Christmas tree farm research? 
I did weird Christmas tree farm research. I don't think, I love that. <laughs> I don't think for the first one, not so much because it, the, the tree farm was more setting mm -hmm. um, and more like I wanted it to feel a certain way. So like it was more aesthetic. I did a lot of like specific tree farm research for Beckett's book um, because Beckett deal with logistics more and like yeah and farming and like what what all is involved in that but yeah my I remember my search history at that time like I'd watch YouTube videos of them planting Christmas trees because like, <laughs> I understand like logistically if yeah I'm saying it right it's funny whenever I start a book my my tabs on my computer are always like bizarre I don't know <laughs> they are right now probably nothing I can share nothing good um okay there's always the worm like wild stuff falling down. Yeah. No, I love that. And I know that um, before you mentioned that like a big inspiration for this was Christmas tree farm by Taylor mm -hmm. Swift mm -hmm. and just kind of nov the novelization of that feeling yes. because you're a big fan of Christmas. Yes. Um, I know that you mentioned before that when you told, I think it was your brother that you were writing a romance about Christmas. He was like, duh. Yeah, when I when I spilled the beans to my family in the group chat, I was like, I wrote a book, and they were like, cool, you know. And then I was like, it's about Christmas, and my brother was like, of course it is. Like no one, <laughs> no one in my life was shocked. Um, yeah, about the setting or the specifics thereof. Yeah, and I one of my favorite things about our last conversation is you were wearing a pink sweater with puffy oh, Santa Claus all over it. I was like, this is so thematic, so perfect because it was a week before Christmas, um, and it just like worked. It was great. I am a, a thematic girly for sure. I feel like also when I'm writing a book, I very much like embody the characters. Like I ate so many baked goods when I was writing Layla. Like. <laughs> And people on reviews are always like, she talks about food a lot. I'm like, I was eating a lot. <laughs> <laughs> it makes uh, sense. Like yeah. art imitates life. Life imitates art here. That's a strange criticism in a review. <laughs> I get I get some strange criticisms, but it's okay. I, like I'm, I think sometimes writers are like, I don't read reviews. I don't even look at them. But I think it's good to understand yeah. what, like, what's resonating and what's not. Yeah. Um, that's a good little market research. Sometimes I'm like, what? what did you read <laughs> I don't think I don't think he read the book I wrote <laughs> it can be frustrating sort of like holding that piece of myself away from it but yeah I I don't know if I could do that I don't know if I can I can barely handle like our podcast reviews because there's been ones that's like talking about how they hate my voice or my favorite I actually have in my Instagram bio which is someone said that I talk about Taylor Swift too much mm. on my Gilmore Girls podcast but I was like the limit doesn't that one's actually a compliment thank you <laughs> It is funny. Like I sometimes I read stuff and I'm like, okay, well that that's what I wanted to do. So I'm sorry you didn't like it. But like, yeah, that is nice though. It's like yeah. that's exactly what I was going for. That's just not for you. And that's the thing is you have to can't be for everyone. I actually talk about that a lot with my therapist. Yeah, <laughs> yeah you can't be everything to everyone, and it's okay. Yeah. I think Katie Robert, um, who's another writer, shared that like it's a good thing when you start getting like one and two star reviews because it means your readership is growing and you're expanding your audience. That's true. And you're going to find people who don't like your books, but at least they've read them, you know? Like, yeah, that's true. Uh, it is exciting to go to like Goodreads and see just how many people have reviewed your books. Um, there's so many, I think like when I don't, was it mixed signals? It's like 22,000. I was like, wow. She's a star. <laughs> it's crazy. It's, it's yeah. wild. It's funny. Like 
people who know me in real life, like my family and my husband's family, they're like, because it's been such a recent change when I say like, they don't, they don't, not that they don't see me as a writer. They just, I don't think they realize yet. Like I'm not, I'm making it sound like I'm a big deal. Like, and I'm not a big deal, but I like, well, I've had you yes. are to some degree, like you are a published author with Berkeley romance, which is like a huge yeah. deal. And I don't, like don't sell yourself short. I won't let you. <laughs> my family, my both sides of my family had, I don't think really they're they're not romance readers, so they don't understand. Yeah. And it was funny. I had an event at a Barnes and Noble and it was close to my parents' house. So my mom and my sister came and I was sitting at my little table and there was a line of people waiting for me. They just hadn't started yet. And my mom and sister come right up to the table and they're like, who are all these people waiting for? <laughs> <laughs> well, me, mom. Me. <laughs> I feel like they, they still struggle with the concept of me as a person that people want to talk to I guess yeah it's like um uh, also kind of like a nice humbling thing yeah like oh, can't, it, you, your head your head can't ever get too big <laughs> like number one New York Times bestseller they're like what's that <laughs> yeah. it was I, I was talking to I, I've mentioned this before but I was talking to a girl yesterday who I used to babysit who wants to write a book and we were chatting about like process and stuff and after I texted my sister and I was like, um, I talked to Sydney today and she was like, oh, how's she doing? And I was like, well, she's thinking about writing a book and she wanted to talk to me about it. And my sister's like, well, why does she want to talk to you? <laughs> wow. Well, I don't know book. if you know this, but I have written one or two books <laughs> to some, some success very well. That's amazing. I, I kind of love that about it. That's that it's it almost feels like a running joke at this point that it's like yeah this is my this is my job it's my career <laughs> just a humble just a little little writer gal in the corner being weird <laughs> as, always. as always um i feel like it's a like immediately my mind is like that's a really good backstory for a character to have a family who just like forgets that she <laughs> is good at what she does <laughs> Um, that's immediately where my mind goes. Um, but this is, I feel like this is a lot less relevant because it's not Christmas anymore. Sorry, my whole desk is shaking because a golden retriever just sat down underneath it. Um, <laughs> but as, as, as one does, you know, um, but this isn't as relevant because it's not the holidays anymore. Um, but I feel like I can't read a holiday book unless it has an underlying sense of melancholy. Like mm -hmm. if, a, if a holiday book is too excited about everything, I can't necessarily relate to that. And I feel like a lot of people feel that way around the holidays. It's like either it's like you want to have the best time, but you're still yourself and maybe you're not quite in the holiday spirit or yeah. your insecurities come with you with the twinkly lights and the Christmas trees that are all surrounding. Um, and I, that's what I love about your book is that there's this insecurity that Stella has amidst all of this. Cause it's not necessarily just Christmas. It encompasses Thanksgiving and kind of mm -hmm. just the winter time around the holidays. Um, but the question that, we all kind of came up with in the book club was um which we talked about before was is it easier to write one or the other like the happy fun friendship between luca and stella or is it easier to slip into stella's insecurities about love and about if people will stick around because everyone kind of leaves her i don't know if one's easier than the other because i think they go so hand in hand with like 
Stella experiences such happiness with Luca because he has like smoothed over those insecurities for her. Like she, she still has them when she's with him, obviously, but he is made a, created a safe space for her that allows for her to be joyful and happy. And I think you can't really write one emotion without like, it makes joy is so much more joyful when you realize that someone has struggled to get there or like has had the highs are higher when the lows are lower. And I yeah. think you buy into it as a reader more when you see the journey of the character to get there. Um, and I think as the reader, you get more joy out of those positive interactions when you, when the characters have earned it. Um, yeah. Especially with Stella who's experienced so much loss and grief that she yeah. goes through. Yeah, and I think Luca has built that safe space for her. Um, and with Beckett and Evelyn, too, I think Beckett is very much used to hiding pieces of himself um, and hiding behind this grumpy caricature that he's made from, like, the town grump. Yeah. Um, but Evelyn is sort of like, nope, not buying it. Yeah. <laughs> We're going to crack you right open. Um, yeah. I, oh, I love them. More of their relationship. Because Evelyn makes the safe space for Beckett to be all the things he is. Yeah. And that's really what you're doing so well. I think that's such a good way to explain it of like, um, I love the dual point of view because you get like the full journey of each of them and how each of them create a safe space for the other person. Mm -hmm. Because like Beckett's created this safe space or this guard this wall of being the grump and he can put it up and he doesn't have to interact with people because he's grumpy but really it's because he has this like anxiety in social situations and the sensory issues of like sounds that get too loud and he gets really overwhelmed and it's so much easier to be kind of angry than it is to say like hey I'm really overwhelmed in this scenario but Evelyn steps in and she's like oh I see it I can like be your emotional support Evelyn yeah um, and it's, oh, it's so good. I just love the way that you do that. You just create like both ends of them creating a safe space for the other person. Because Beckett, it's like the last time she felt happy. And yeah. so she comes to Love Light Farm to feel that again. And she immediately finds that safe space in him. Not to make it about the two of them, but <laughs> it's just like so perfect in each of the iterations that you put them in. Because I feel like you can't, like we were talking about before, of like you can't just have a fluffy romance. Yeah. Um, you have to have everything that they're going through and everyone that everything that everyone goes through, but especially in a holiday book, um, I feel like you can slip so easily into um, more of like the, I guess the Christmas hijinks, if you will. Yeah. Um, like the G fluffy aspects of Christmas. Yeah. And, but I love that we get the, I love when people are a little bit sad and then they have their people around <laughs> yeah. them. <laughs> it, makes, it makes everything else sweeter. Like if you've worked. It really does. Yeah. Um, one of the last questions is what inspired the Christmas tree car fresheners? I really, so it wasn't, it wasn't Luca gives Stella a Christmas air fresh. I feel like I answered this really well last time and now I'm like struggling. You did. <laughs> um, so Luca in the book, Luca gives Stella an air freshener. He like hides it around her house whenever he leaves her. Um, and I originally, I wanted Luca to have a way to say I love you without saying I love you because he knew Stella wasn't ready for it yet. 
Um, so and cool. <laughs> Luca is very, um, he knows her so well and he doesn't want to push her past her point. So he was leaving town one day um, and saw the little Christmas air tree freshener and he just started leaving them with her um, to sort of be like, I'm thinking of you. Originally, it was going to be a snow globe. However, right. <laughs> then Stella would have had 7,000 snow globes everywhere. Yeah. So. She would um, have a snow globe room. <laughs> and I just like the idea of Stella holding on to all of these cheap, like, little cardboard things that be just because Luca gave them to her. Um, yeah. She never throws any of them away. She holds on to them. And that's sort of the penultimate part of the book. It's like Luca feels like he's been standing out in this ledge by himself, handing her these air tree fresheners and handing them to her. But Stella's been keeping everyone and, like... I think for Luca, that was a moment where he was like, okay, she's in it too. She might not have said it, but she's holding on to the pieces I give her. Yeah. When she reveals that to him, it just, oh. But the best one is when they kiss for the first time, they have a little practice kiss, <laughs> and he slips it into her pocket. Like, Sneaky. that. And it's like, I, I had to have known that that's what he was saying, like, that he was saying, I love you with that. But, like, when you told me that the last time, I, like, walked away. Like, I was very upset that... <laughs> Our audio didn't work, but I just remember being like, that was too much information for me to learn about Luca. <laughs> this is just so sweet. It's just like such like a cute, beautiful detail between the two of them, which I just learned um, more about that in mixed signals that they're now selling them at the farm. Selling the air tree fresheners? Yeah. Stella sells them now. Uh probably my brain is fuzzy on that detail yeah, yeah. i just learned sense. that 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 um occurred and i was like oh now she's selling to everyone and i love you yeah um, she's and- just she's secure in her love and i think stella's whole goal with owning the farm is recreating magic from her childhood that she can give to other people yeah i'm clearly i planned that <laughs> wrote that in there you wrote that i can confirm you did oh goodness baby i love um the last question is someone wanted to know what your luca and stella dream fan cast is and if you have anyone or if you don't it's funny so i don't typically have fan casts when i start writing because like i feel like sometimes when you have a really strong celebrity in mind some of the celebrities um mannerisms can trip into Mm. your book And I think sometimes like I've read books. I'm like, this is, um, who's the big one that everyone's using? Adam driver. Driver. Like I'm like, this writer was thinking of Adam driver. I think sometimes that happens. So yeah. Yeah. Just not like, yeah. It's not in like a derogatory way. It's like, that's like what a compliment. (laughs) Yeah. She nails it. She's the ultimate. Um, I, so I typically just find like a, I scroll Pinterest until I find like the closest look. And it usually, it takes me a while to figure out like, okay, who is it? Who is it? Who is it? Cause like in my head, it's the same way when you're reading a book and you, the like, and they make a movie out of it it never matches up. Right. You know, yeah. it's like this isn't the right person. Um, yeah. So I try to find as close to the brain version as I can. Um with the exception of Simone Ashley for Evelyn, just always felt like it. Ooh, yeah. Um, 
And then, oh, Theo James for Charlie. Stop. Theo <laughs> James for everyone. He could play all of your characters. <laughs> so. a, he has a new show coming out on Netflix, and I swear to God, I've watched that trailer. Like, What show is it? It's it's like this. It's a darker show. It's like um, British monarchy mafia. Like he's a oh. boss, but he's a British aristocrat. And like, I'm sold. It's like, <laughs> it's like, it's a guy, Richie. So guy, Richie is like known for his like action stuff. Yeah. Um, and I watched it and I was like, Oh my God. And then I was like, I said to my husband, I'm like, there's a new guy, Richie show coming out on Netflix. And then I was like, you and watch it together. And he was like looking at me very suspicious. Cause like, <laughs> that is not within couch, my wheelhouse. Meeting him there. <laughs> and he was like, yes, let me see the trailer. And he's watching it and he goes, Oh, i see why we're here today Dio james appeared and my husband was like that okay so much sense that's why i watched the new time traveler's wife that unfortunately got canceled it was okay but i was like theo james he naked theo james (laughs) he was phenomenal and naked admittedly um but it was it was just okay but i watched all of it and then i watched it again because i was just like he's so handsome and just so good and I just everything he does, I'm just like, you should. Is, it, is is this a good show or do I like Theo James? <laughs> I want you to watch this new. Tra- I'm going to send you a link to this trailer. Okay, we're going to discuss it in depth because you're just going to die. That's <laughs> like, I, like, I can't ah! wait. And I feel like that's so true. I feel like so many people put Theo James into their character fan cast um, because that like reminds me of like the Beach Read movie is coming up, and yeah. I found out that someone. Uh, was thinking of Daniel Radcliffe for Gus, and I was like, "What? What happened to your brain? <laughs> it can be Is it jarring. okay in there? It can it's be not. jarring for people too. I feel like, and I have discovered via social media over the past couple of years is that um, readers do not want authors to show like their version of a character because it's yeah. so personal and different for everyone." Um, at least until after they've kind of like developed it like given given them a chance to yeah like and I or like I will show like I've gotten plenty of like posts where people were like this is my Caleb and I'm like no (laughs) (laughs) who is that who is that um but it's it's so deeply personal how people experience characters so yeah and I feel like I feel differently about if someone puts an actor to it versus if someone does like fan art if they draw it I feel like I can like connect more with that where it's like that's not what I saw him as but like I love getting to see what was in your mind when you did that um because admittedly when I read and when I write I can't see their face yeah like I can see everything else about them I can see like their hair their wardrobe everything but i just can't see their face so when someone gives me a fan cast i'm like great that's who it is that's what their yeah. face looks like <laughs> it's for me it's like i can see their face but i have no way of describing it like outside i mean obviously i figure out a way to describe it but it's just it's never right like it's never completely right to like what's in my brain yeah um, that's probably the biggest frustration as a writer is like you want so badly for the scene that's in your head to live on the page. And I don't think I've ever 100% have it be exactly what I wanted it to be. Yeah. That's very comforting as someone who is trying to do that right now. And it's, can. Hard. <laughs> it's really hard. And even if you feel like you did, 
someone else is going to see it differently. And I think that there's like a beauty to that. Mm-hmm. And also a, lit- a teeny tiny frustration of like, that's not what I wanted it to be. Yeah. <laughs> you want it to be what like, you style on your mind. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, the last on the fan cast is someone fan cast um, adult my my love and Amelia as Luca. And I was like, sold. Yeah. Done. I Works don't have disagreements with that. Yeah. Him and um, I would love Luca and Theo James to all be in <laughs> one place together. Like that that feels like a dream little town, doesn't it? <laughs> but people have asked me, like, would you like to see your books made into a movie? And like, yes, of course, that's the dream. Yeah. But I'm pretty sure if there were four actors who represented each of the men, I would just like catastrophically <laughs> like, <laughs> I wouldn't handle it. At all. A little like, giggly. Yeah, I would just pass out. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I love that. Um, I hope they get made into movies because they're just very cinematic. They're very feel good. It's the exact kind of movie that you want to watch mm-hmm. um, is this little town. I also would love to see the expansion of the town, like the actual literal, you know, little walk through town that they yeah. would ultimately have. Everyone waving, you know, Dane stopping in for pizza like I just think that it would all be so great and so perfect um because I love this town so much and the world that you've created same (laughs) (laughs) I'm glad and I'm so excited for everything that's coming up for you not only your son but also business casual which comes out in July and first time caller which comes out early next year I believe is um yeah, I just think that you have so many great things coming up. Um, everything that you haven't talked about, I'm really excited about. I'm really excited for your NFL series. That's kind of manifesting. In the um, far, far future. In the far, far future. You know, I will be at my nursing home reading B.K. Borson's Sports Romance. <laughs> Probably when it'll come out. <laughs> Which will be so exciting. I know even then I'll fangirl in the same way that I do now. But I hope that if you have gotten this far and you've read Love Light, that you want to continue on with the rest of the series. Or if you have had the whole series, that you're excited for Business Casual to come out because I know that I am. And I'm just so grateful that you wanted to come back and talk to me after that. Like it was like I was immediately afterwards. I was like, this is never going to be anywhere. This is not going (laughs) to exist. But you're um, an amazing writer and a kind, generous person as well, which I feel like people should know. Um, and my very last question, which I asked you last time, um, and maybe you have an answer for, which is, do you have any book recs for the book club that would feel like a more girls? Yes, I do. I'm very prepared today. I, have... <laughs> <laughs> I... I caught you off guard with it last time. <laughs> yes. I'm like ready today. So, uh, Jessica Joyce, you with a view, I think. Yes. She phenomenal writer great snappy dialogue melancholy joy all of the emotions great relationship with the grandparent as well it's beautiful it's stunning and her next book x files comes out same day as business casual so buy one get one at your bookstore with me and miss jessica joyce um hannah bonham young next of kin and next to you um are being republished re-released by dell um, yes. They were indie pickups. Um, phenomenal. She's such a talented writer. Um, so highly recommend those as well. I'm looking at my shelf now. Oh, Lynn Painter, as always. Oh, of course. She's a she's a Jess girly as well. So if you're a Jess, oh, is she? She is. I think the do over. Um, she was very 
explicit in saying it's for the just girlies. Ooh, I don't know about that. Might have to reach out to her, see if she'll, maybe she'll rumble with me. <laughs> no, I, Lynn is probably always down to rumble, <laughs> but she she's so funny and so sweet. So you should definitely reach out to her. I definitely uh, will. And then Chloe Lees. I always recommend her books as well. Yeah. And she is the, is she the Bergman? Bergman, yeah. yeah. The final Bergman book comes out in April. Um, and I also recommend her Wilmot Sisters series. It's uh, three Shakespearean retellings, but they're very, they're set in a contemporary world. They're just very well done. She's. Ooh. Those are so many good recommendations. I feel like uh, this is a good year of reading, but also you've fed us with some great recommendations on top of your books. Um, but again, thank you so much for joining me today on Valentine's Day. Oh, I do also want to mention you have an event today. Is that right? Oh, I do. Yes. In New York um, with three incredible authors. We're doing a panel tonight for Valentine's Day. Yeah. Moderated by one of my really good friends. Yasmin, yeah. Yeah. Oh, she's the best. She is the best. So I, when I found out that she was the one moderating the event, that is when I immediately signed up because I'm so excited to meet her. Yes. Uh, but that'll be tonight at the book club bar. The book club bar, yeah. <laughs> and I'm very excited for it. Yeah. If you if there are tickets still available, I'm not sure. Um, check it out. I'm on your socials if anyone wants to attend and they're in New York City and want a little Galentine's plan tonight. We also have a Galentine's event tonight. We have a Gilmore Galentine. Amazing. But it was nice to spend Gilmore Day with you <laughs> <laughs> and talk about love and female friendship and just how lovely it is to have such soft boys in the world. <laughs> Thank you for having me. Happy Galentine's. To all of our book besties, thank you so much for listening to today's episode of Gilmore to Read. If you would like to join our book club, you can head over to Fable, which I've linked in our show notes, where you can join either of our book clubs. Where You Read I Will Follow is currently reading Franny and Zoe by J.D. Salinger for the rest of February. While Reading is Sexy is currently reading Will They or Won't They by Ava Wilder which is a book about two co-stars who used to date who now hate each other while they're filming the final season of their TV show. It's a slightly different take than we've had before on quote-unquote books that feel like Gilmore Girls, but I'm very excited to talk to Ava Wilder about it when she comes on the podcast in March. That will be our next episode. I'm not going to say the date that it'll air because it will jinx us, but it will definitely be our next episode. But until then, my book besties, happy reading. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.